Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network's new coverage of a new show. It's been a while since I've introduced a long term TV project. We are here for the very first episode of 24, the second greatest television show ever to be a TV show. We've already done the first best, so why not do the second best? We're here to cover everybody's favourite man who says, damn it! That is Kiefer Sutherland and Jack Bauer for the next 100 million episodes that are going to be fun. They're filled with torture. They're filled with beautiful Kiefer Sutherland. That's all you need to know. We've got beautiful people in this entire series. Apparently, this whole thing is just about being beautiful, <laughs> not about the violence and the terrorists and everything else. It is the 20th anniversary of 24 this year, and we thought what a better time to start than by covering every single episode. This is going to be a long time. This is a, a long project, the longest one we have ever done, but uh, we are here for the long haul and a project that we have been wanting to do for quite some time. And I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm going to start off by saying that my name is Ben Waterworth and the following takes place between 5am and 6am on the day of the Oz Network primary election. Events occur in real time, I think. And my name is Colin, big old grumpy bear. <laughs> I had to get mine out of done because I felt like, you know, that that's an obvious one, but that was a close I was going to go with, my name is Colin. Do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, the best ringtone in television. That is... Oh, Everybody's I had, had it at some point, right? Yeah, I, I definitely had it. I think I had it as a message tone at some point, um, but... Oh, I'm excited, Colin. We, I think we need to do a really quick little breakdown here of something that I think we've talked about in the past before on the show, but if we haven't, let's break it down right now. Uh, the un, unlistened to, unheard backdoor <laughs> pilot of the Oz yeah. Network was on 24. We did this before our very first episode, which of course was a six day back in 2017. And we, I believe at that point, weren't thinking about covering every single episode of TV series. We're thinking like, hey, let's just do a season summary. And at that point, we did a season one summary of 24. Now, I believe the episode went for about 90 minutes, maybe. And neither of us at that point, I think, had watched 24 recently, but had, you know, we've got this to memory pretty closely. And we sort of, I think, listened to it and were like, yeah, that's all right, but maybe we need to go in a different direction. But I've still got that. Maybe that's something we can uh, <laughs> air as a bonus episode at some point because I haven't listened to that, I don't think, since we recorded it. So this is a project that clearly we've been interested in in some time. First of all, do you remember doing that episode? Yeah. 
I do. Uh, and I actually remember before that, there were discussions about covering shows every single episode. Um, I think when we first started to put together the ideas for the Oz Network, uh, Nick was actually very involved in sort of coordinating this is what we're going to cover. And he laid out uh, a bunch of shows that everybody together had sort of collectively talked about. 24 was one of them. And the idea was we're going to cover all these shows every single episode. And then I sort of did the math on 24 alone. And I'm like, this is going to be a couple of years for 24. <laughs> so if we have, you know, even five days a week that we're running the Oz network and we're running all these shows, we've got the next 12 years booked with nothing else, no room for anything else. So then we sort of shifted and said, okay, well, let's try the whole season. And yeah, I do remember that first episode because, uh, you know, we introduced, I don't even, maybe we'll hear it at some point. I don't even know if we said this is our first ever episode of the Oz Network. It was just sort of, let's see how it goes. And uh, again, it wasn't bad. I think I remembered more from season one than I thought I was going to remember, having not seen it in several years. But it did feel better. I think our next backdoor pilot, which was the six day movie recap, uh, to just do it all in one shot. And then, you know, just being able to to go into all the little details as we did on the sixth day, even though that was a movie, it, it just felt better to let's try this as like one big project, just cover one episode at a time, which then led to let's figure out how we can do TV recaps without covering a whole series. And we did a couple of random Smallville episodes just to get the format down. But uh, as much as Brendan Fraser is uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I guess, as well, the, the fathers of the Oz Network, 24 and Jack Bauer, technically the father of the Oz Network as well. And Jack Bauer could be my daddy anytime. That's all I'd like <laughs> to say to that. No, it, it is kind of an interesting history. And obviously here we are, you know, several years after that. And we've, we've covered multiple TV shows from start to finish. Of course, uh, Third Watch, Nip Tuck, when we had Nick a bit more involved. Hello to Nick if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Total Drama Island as well. And Lost will get finished one day. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been a while since I think kind of, once we in the particularly in the nip tuck and third watch ones because i was involved and i'm sure you'll probably t- talked about in the total drama island i mean it, it is a commitment you've got to kind of sit down for a long time and gradually release these weekly and of course nip tuck was 100 episodes third watch 132 episodes so that's quite a significant amount of television to get through here we've got at least 20, 204 episodes of the normal series and we've got a tv movie and then i'm guess we're going to probably do the rubbish that was legacy essentially to kind mm. of you know bookend everything so we've got upwards of 210 220 episodes here to do so plenty to cover um but just just really briefly because obviously you know we we go into a bit of background here in, in the first episode and then we'll get into the the recap here of that one we don't want to waste your time by spending a whole hour just talking about a history with this show but Briefly, Colin, for yourself, uh, what what interested you in in putting your hand up to commit to this project? What what does twenty four mean to you? Your history with twenty four, and obviously, this is something we discover more and more as each of those these episodes go ahead. Uh, well, we did our top TV shows and movies of all time last year, and twenty four definitely ranked higher on yours than mine. I think it was in the top twenty for me. Uh, but it's it's a show that I've always loved, and probably one of the few shows I actually committed to from the beginning. I can remember, we'll talk about it in this episode, I can remember watching this the night it premiered, you know, maybe a month or so after it was originally supposed to premiere, which I'm sure we'll also talk a little bit about throughout the course of the season, the timely uh, events of the fall of 2001 that maybe affected some of this uh, show. But uh, looking at all TV shows I think I've ever watched, if I were to look at the last 20 years, I can count on maybe two hands, 
how many shows I've actually finished that went ran past five seasons. Cause I just, I get very impatient once I hit the five season mark, if things aren't fresh and with 24, I mean, the quality definitely goes down after season five, but I never stopped tuning in every single week. It was one of those shows that I watched, you know, when it aired, uh, never a point where I'm like, ah, I'll wait till the season finishes, uh, devoted to it all the way to the end, even through legacy, which, uh, <laughs> I don't think many people can say that they watched every episode of legacy week that it aired too. So, uh, taking on four years, <laughs> whatever this is going to take to cover the whole show, it, it seems kind of daunting, but, uh, you sort of pitched it to me more or less. It wasn't even pitching. Yeah. Let's cover the show. Cause we'd always talked about that. It was more or less reminding me, Oh yeah. You know, season one, we get to do this. We get to talk about this. And I started to think about season one. I'm like, it would be fun to revisit this show. So you talked me into it and I, I kind of wanted to start on a smaller show that maybe we could get done within six months to a year. But instead we went for the biggest possible show imaginable. Yes, which leads us to one day doing ER, maybe. Who knows? Um, I, I remember this um, being promoted very heavily in Australia. And I, I don't think from memory we got it until 2002 because this was sort of back in a period of, of Australian TV where we weren't getting shows immediately like we do now. It's sort of, you know, we would often have up to a six-month gap in between getting a big US network show. So I, I from memory, I don't think we got this until 2002 and it was kind of promoted as like the biggest show on television. And I'm one of those people who get sold on those sort of things. I mean, I think I talked a lot about it in Lost. The reason why I watched Lost was because of that. And yes, I watched Desperate Housewives because, I mean, let's be honest, when Lost came out in 2004, Desperate Housewives was equally as big at the same time. So I'm sold on those. And I would always generally give a new TV series a chance if I liked the ads for it. And this looked great. Um, and I would say this was the very first TV show that I ever watched where it was... It was when I say event viewing, there were definitely other shows like Survivor was event viewing at the time. But if you missed an episode of Survivor, it wasn't the biggest thing in the world. This was the first show that I felt if I missed an episode, I was screwed. And we will talk about in this season, the only time I ever missed an episode airing on TV before I would ever download things, um, it was this season. And I didn't record it on VHS. And I like spent a good portion of the remainder of this season. What the hell? I've missed so much. And again, we'll talk a lot about throughout this, that 24 was kind of one of those shows that really was at the forefront of this golden age of TV where it's, you know, things like binge watch, binge watching come into play and, you know, that must-see viewing every single week, you know, breaking that weekly formulaic episode sort of formula that we had so long in, in television. I mean, I, I suppose you'd argue The Sopranos came before this, you know, The West Wing, shows like that that kind of maybe set that. And obviously they're uh, cable shows, whereas this is not. This is a network show. So you might argue this is the first network show. I'm sure there are plenty others that I'm uh, ignoring. But this is often regarded as one of the main ones that did it. And also, too, uh, I remember talking to you in that backdoor pilot a lot about the unique thing about this season, too, which to me, when this premiered, I was 14, 15. I maybe wasn't overly aware with who he was at that time. I'd maybe seen Lost Boys um, stand by me, so I kind of knew who he was. But Kiva Sutherland, I mean, this in itself was a huge deal in 2001 to get a, a bona fide movie star switching mm -hmm. to TV. It's a norm now. Every bloody movie star is doing TV rent now. But 2001, this was unusual. Um, so yeah. that was something too. Was that a draw card to you? A, a great Canadian, Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, I guess it is different here in Canada because I mean, I, I 
now we look at Kiefer Sutherland, if we were to look at his movie star career of the 80s and 90s, you wouldn't really consider him to be like massive movie star. Whereas now The Rock will do a TV show, you know, (laughs) while he's doing movies. Literally everybody does a TV show. But this was considered, at least in 2001, the biggest star that anybody had ever landed for a network show because his career was... It was. It wasn't like it was ever at like George Clooney heights or anything, but he was still big enough that he could make a career in movies. And it was just a big deal that they talked him into doing a TV show uh, at the star level he was, where he could still consistently work in movies. Especially being here in Canada, because he is more well known just being Canadian. Uh, it was a big deal, and uh, we have you know the Canadian networks, but if you have cable TV, uh, which even basic cable, you could get the American networks as well. So there was never really any American TV shows that you couldn't watch in Canada. But if a Canadian network picked it up, it meant it was a big enough deal that like, hey, we want this show because we want to be able to compete with the American networks. We want to be able to get the advertising dollars or wherever else. And uh, a Canadian network, which was actually one of the smallest Canadian networks at the time, picked up 24. And I remember they promoted this show like crazy uh and i it's funny because when we get to a moment in this episode which is actually the first moment i saw for me it was in the middle of a two-hour premiere because for whatever reason in canada they decided to stack this as the first two episodes back to back and i was lucky they did because i probably wouldn't have ever gotten into the show otherwise uh this is the first real event viewing as you said and this and alias came out literally within a month of each other, they were supposed to come out much closer, I think within a week of each other. But of course, 9-11, you know, caused a lot of networks to be like, let's be careful of our content, especially in dealing with terrorists. Alias really no different. It's just a little bit more cartoony, a little bit less, you know, grounded in reality. Uh, but Alias being the other show that also said, we're going to take a big gamble and do cliffhanger television and have a season that sort of plays a story arc uh, from start to finish. Now, the funny thing is, if you look at these two shows, they handled it differently, which we'll talk about throughout the course of the season, as I'll draw some parallels to Alias. Alias kind of ditched the cliffhanger format by the end of the second season, whereas that's what 24 was built on. I think Alias probably had a bigger audience from the beginning, and then 24, through people being able to binge watch the show once it came out on DVD, which this became the first DVD that ever really was a big deal where people would buy television shows on DVD that gave the show a whole new life. So we'll see by the time we get to season two, the difference it made in ratings even. And, and absolutely. And I'll say with that fact right now, while you brought it up, this was the very first TV series on DVD I ever owned. Um, I, I remember this being my number one Christmas present that year. Cause I'm pretty sure the way this aired in Australia, it, it didn't finish that far away from Christmas. And like I was, this was, I was so excited that year to get this and I like watched it so many times. And like, that was such a new thing. We all remember when DVD, TV shows on DVD became a thing and just becoming obsessed with them and everything like that. Um, it, it, it was, it was huge. Um, and I'll just say too, like, uh, you know, if people really want to sit down and listen to all a hundred thousand episodes of third watch and me just, you know, brag about that for how much I love that show across all those episodes, um, this is my number two. This has always been my number two. I mean, if we've got long-term listeners who have been with us since the Survivor Oz days. People always assume that Survivor was my favorite show. I think I talked about that during the Third Watch episodes. I mean, Survivor, I think, came in at number five or number six on my list. Um, so, you know, I, and it would be my dream to cover all my top ten shows. Uh, unfortunately, one of those shows is ER, and I don't know if I have 15 seasons worth in me and somebody to commit to that with me, but I would gladly do it one day. George Clooney, if you ever get bored and you want to go back and do all those with me, I'm, I'm down but uh, no this was always number two I think Darvell and I talked a little bit about that uh, at the end of third watch 
uh, that this would be something that we would do one day. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. I, I'll say with Kiva Sutherland too, um, I like, yeah, like being my young age and not sort of knowing overly who is, I love this man so much. I think I used to say in high school that if I was to turn gay for anyone, it would be Jack Bauer. It wasn't necessarily Kiva Sutherland. It was mainly the character of Jack Bauer. But having thought about that, it's definitely Kiva Sutherland. I mean, I legitimately, anything he's in now, I'll watch. I mean, I watched Designated Survivor purely for him being in it. I haven't watched The Fugitive, the, what was that, short-lived Quibi or whatever the hell it was, for five seconds. Um, and there was he did that other sort of supernaturally type show not long after this finished. Oh, Touch. Yeah, which, yeah, I mean. Yeah, not good. Even Kiva Sales, I don't think, could sell the concept of that show to me. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I fully love this man now. And, uh, I mean, gosh, he's, his dad's a great Canadian. His grandfather was literally oh, yeah. voted the greatest Canadian. So, I mean, yeah. this guy comes from a lineage of greatest Canadians to ever be a Canadian. And I'm just, I feel, I felt it was natural that I had to do this show when I was in Canada, right? When I'm standing on the ground that this man <laughs> was created in. Yeah. And I, I can also say maybe my familiarity with Kiefer Sutherland had something to do with the fact that my mom was in love with Kiefer Sutherland. As <laughs> I'm sure everybody of my age group's mom was in love with Kiefer Sutherland. He was like the bad boy, you know? Uh, yeah. there, there'd be the the nice guys like, you know, Tom Hanks or whatever. But Kiefer Sutherland was like, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what I want him to do to me because you're a child. <laughs> but just trust me. <laughs> and Kiefer Sutherland I, if I would say me- no to a child because he's a nice man. He would say no to a child, yes. Uh, but uh, he would not say no to your mom. <laughs> that would not be above him. <laughs> so <laughs> all, all children, uh, I think in Canada, probably had some fear that Kiefer Sutherland was going to steal their mom away from their dad. I um I got my best friend into this show. We did a trade many years ago. I think I've talked about this before. And um, I watched Buffy. She watched 24. And she fell quite in love with Keith Sutherland. And I would just say she's basically a full-on lesbian now. So if, if, a, if a gay person can fall in love with Keith Sutherland, then, hey, you know, you know how powerful he is. Um, but we kind of developed a nice little cult following just of his antics because sort of when 24 was out, like the paparazzi was around him a lot more. And, you know, this was like at times when he would just constantly be caught drunk, his pants down. I think yeah. one time he climbed on a Christmas tree drunk and it fell over and like just just brilliant moments. Like this guy looks like he's just a fun person to go out drinking with. He's got a bit of a music career going on as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, doing well for himself. But uh, the enigma that he's key for Sutherland, I feel, is going to be a large talking point over the next 200-odd episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as well as the enigma of Carlos Bernard. Can't oh, wait to get into that. Yeah, oh, this this is a great thing I forgot about doing these TV series is that like you develop these fandoms for characters and you forget about them. And there's one particular one which I I love it a bit. And I'm pretty sure remembering um, our backdoor pilot, you weren't a fan of hers. So I'll look forward to that. But I will say too, like when we did that part, because yeah, I hadn't watched 24 in a while. This is um, the first time I've rewatched it in a few years. And it's weird because it's kind of like third watch. I generally like to rewatch this at least once a year where I can. Um, but I've I couldn't tell you how many times I've watched at least the first season. I mean probably the first five seasons I've watched multiple times. But season one I, I I'm fairly confident I know pretty much back to front. Uh, but the one thing that I'm sad that I don't have with me since moving, I left a lot of books back home in Hobart and I have like so many books on 24. I have like the visual guide to like the first four seasons and all these, like I just bought merchandise. I bought comics. I never buy comics, but I bought, they had the background comic series to the Drazen mission. Like what happened there? They published a, a comic book series detailing that. I've got the 24 official magazine. I used to collect that. Like 
I, I don't know if I've ever collected as much merchandise on a TV show as I did with 24. If people have listened to our lost coverage and you heard Noah talk about his fandom, it's kind of what I had with 24. I bought all that because sadly we never had third watch official guides and things like that. So uh, maybe I'll have to make one one day. But uh, no, I, I sadly don't have that. So we're going to be relying on our good friends at 24.fandom.com, otherwise known as 24Wiki. We know we love uh, our fan friends over at Lost Wiki. We like to make lots of fun of them. So uh, I feel that 24 Wiki are going to be our new friends. Hopefully they're as in-depth as Lost Wiki is. So I don't know how, how in-depth you got with Total Drama Island Wiki. Colin, was that even a thing? Uh, I looked up trivia for a couple episodes and then Rossi couldn't be bothered. So <laughs> we pretty much made up our own trivia after that. Rocky. It's always <laughs> Rocky. Rocky. <laughs> Um, but I mean, obviously we're going to talk up a lot of characters. We'll talk more about the actors going on. One thing, of course, that we do, if this is the first time you've ever listened to one of our TV recaps, we generally start off the episode by telling you the episode title, who wrote it, who directed it. Now, 24 is a unique one in the fact that every single episode title is a time. Um, so we're not going to have a, a necessarily a name, but we'll, we'll still give it. So the first episode is called 12am to 1am. Uh, it first is aired, it the only time a season started at 12 a.m. too? It is. So this is technically the only season that literally takes place in a single day. Moving forward, I guess unless you classify um, Redemption as a TV movie, um, you know, every other season would start at a time where technically it takes place over two days. Um, and this is also the only season in which it refers to 12 a.m. as midnight. So in this episode and the final episode, they actually refer to 12 a.m. as midnight. Uh, and fun fact too, which actually I'll just get to the writer and director. So it was written by Joel Cerno and Robert Cochran, the creators of this show, and uh, directed by Stephen Hopkins, uh, esteemed yes. director of uh, such things as Predator 2, Lost in Space, a movie that you and I are big defenders of, uh, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Wow. Um, and also Highlander, he was a second unit director on that. Just quick, I'll, I'll get to your thoughts on Stephen Hopkins. I just wanted to, that fact, I'll forget it. Uh, the, the whole bit at the beginning where they do the following takes place between blah, blah, blah. Um, Keith Sutherland recorded every single one of those individually in this season. And then I think in season two, they realized that's quite time consuming. We can probably reuse that in the next season. So <laughs> I always found that a fun fact. There's lots of weird, really fun facts, particularly about this first episode that we'll get to. But um, anyway... Sidebar, Stephen Hopkins, uh, Lost in Space, great movie, uh, needs more love. And Predator 2, I actually don't mind Predator 2. Yeah, and I think as much as Kiefer Sutherland was like a big land for being somebody who was a movie star, Stephen Hopkins directing television would have also been considered unusual, at least at the time. I mean, you look at him now, he doesn't do movies so much anymore. He almost exclusively television. But uh, even after Predator 2 and Nightmare on Elm Street, he had a couple of really big movies. Uh, Blown Away was a movie with Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones in the mid-90s that was a massive hit. Ghost in the Darkness, Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer, also a massive hit. Lost in Space, you know, say what you will about it. I mean, I think if you ever watch the TV show, you realize that movie is just as goofy as the TV show. Great movie. I love it. Uh, was the movie to knock Titanic from number one <laughs> in the That's box office. That's why Colin likes it so much. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, he, he wasn't necessarily like Spielberg level where you could put his name and people would know who he was, but he'd had a lot of success with a lot of big budget movies. So getting him to do the pilot or at least the first couple episodes of this TV show was a huge deal at the time and obviously it worked out well enough for him that he decided to pretty much transition to TV after that. 
And he wasn't the first choice. Uh, James Foley was slated to direct this, but I believe it was a family uh, tragedy. I don't know what exactly happened, but he had to pull out of it. And James Foley directed uh, such esteemed movies in the future as Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades Freed, and also a Madonna movie, Who's That Girl? So uh, I feel like we Ooh. kind of ended up getting the right person here, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how the first episode would have gone with the director of the esteemed Madonna movie, Who's That Girl? A uh, good song, not a good movie. So, uh, yeah, there is that. Um, now, this episode aired, uh, initially aired, uh, as I said there, on November 6, 2001, delayed by a few weeks, of course. You mentioned before uh, this and Alias kind of came out at a very interesting time in television, of course. Uh, we're only two months after 9-11, not even two months, really, a, a month, six weeks, essentially, after 9-11, um, which... It was unique that this ended up lasting what it did. I think a lot of people looked at 24 as kind of like that that breath of fresh air. If anything, it was a perfect time for 24 because it was basically Jack Bauer kicking terrorist asses and everyone <laughs> ate this up. Like, I mean, you, we're going to get to seasons where there's stuff that doesn't hold up well. We're talking torture. We're talking waterboarding, you know, a, a criticism of this show that it eventually got. But at the time, no one cared. People loved it. They're like, fuck yeah, torture terrorists, those bastards. <laughs> so it kind of was it was very timely it was very very timely so um yeah always an interesting thing in a in a post 9-11 world because nick tuck was really a show that didn't have any relation to 9-11 we didn't really talk about it. third watch obviously happened smack bang in the middle of 9-11 in new york you have to cover 9-11 but this is a post 9-11 world about a guy at a fictional counter-terrorist unit uh that's trying to save the world and I mean, the enigma of Jack Bauer, the character, though, is something that I don't... I Again, I was never a huge Alias fan. I don't know if Sidney Bristow reached the levels of Jack Bauer fandom. But, I mean, you got to the point with Jack Bauer where you, you had Jack Bauer facts alongside Chuck Norris facts. You know, Jack Bauer was, yeah. was an enigma that people loved. You had the what would Jack Bauer t-shirts do instead of what would Jesus Christ t-shirts do. People came up with this weird concept that... Characters with the initials JB were badass. Jack Bauer, James Bond, Jason Bourne. Like, hey, what is it with characters with JB that are badass? So, I mean, the enigma that is Jack Bauer basically saving America from terrorists. And even one of those Jack Bauer facts page for a long time used to be like, there has not been a single terrorist attack on US soil since 24 aired because <laughs> terrorists are scared of Jack Bauer. So, I mean, if I had to rank best TV characters of all time... He'd be firmly in my top 10. He might even be my number one. I don't know. He, he is important too because uh, the original concept for the show, which I don't know, maybe I'll dig up the trivia on it, was that Cyril and Cochran had this idea that like, you know, we don't want to be tied just to one actor. We have a premise for a show and they thought that maybe after two, three seasons, they could kill off Jack Bauer and continue on the show with somebody else or make season two something completely different, make it almost like an anthology series. And the popularity of Jack Bauer had them throw that out the window where it got to the point where you had to do this only if Kiefer Sutherland said, okay. And ultimately I think that's part of what led to the show being canceled was just his salary was too high. They tried the show without him and that was 24 legacy, which we're not looking forward to. No. Uh, so he, he may be probably of this decade that, that 2000 to 2010, I don't think you could find another TV character that was iconic as he was. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, like, oh, God, oh, keep forgetting about 24 Legacy. We sadly have to do that one day, don't we? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, the one thing that also intrigues me about um, the first season as well 
is I'm trying to find it there, and we'll we'll get better at these as we go along. We we always like to have the stats and everything ready to go. Is that um, when this actually took place? Because one thing about 24 is that they have big time jumps in each season. Generally, mm. you know, is up to three years. I think in some points, I think between season two and season three, it's a three. We still year haven't gap. caught up with uh, Living Out Today, have we? I don't think we have. Like I said, <laughs> I don't think we have because this. Yeah. Um, I think there's a bit of a, a a debate as to when this actually starts. So, I mean, obviously, the the key factor of a timeline would be a California presidential primary. So, this should be in an election year, 2000 potentially, 2004. Um, but I mean, there's all little other moments about uh, this. I don't think it's ever firmly confirmed when it is when it has taken place. And I think kind of with a lot of the side projects like the books, there was a video game, things like that have kind of made it a little bit um, different. And I think kind of later on in some of the other future seasons, it also makes it a little bit thing. So I don't I don't ever think there is legitimately a, a set date. Like we are in the year 2000. So um, the mm-hmm. only thing that we're ever going to know is that basically by we get to time we get to season nine, it's been like 20 years essentially and Jack Bauer hasn't aged a day, um, <laughs> which is fine by us because still to this day, he has not aged a day, has Kiefer Sutherland. So... There He's just go. blonder in this earlier season. He is. The long blonde hair is a bit jarring. I forgot about that, yeah. right? Um, we'll, we'll get into this. We've got lots to talk about. Um, so we start off with the iconic clock, the iconic title scene. That <laughs> Our other opening line. <laughs> yes. I also believe I've had that as a message tone before. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, literally like that. And I will say the, the sound effect for that clock is a little different in this episode. I don't know if you picked up on that, but um, it it is slightly different. And I did I did have that backed up by looking at the, uh, the trivia as well. Actually, one thing too, that's what I was going to say. Keep Sutherland, not the first choice. Jack Bauer, do you are you aware of who was cast as Jack Bauer before they realized Keeper Sutherland was available? It's sort of ringing a bell, but I can't remember anything. Who was he? He's in this episode, the actor who was originally Jack Bauer. <laughs> it was Xander Berkeley. <laughs> no, sadly not, but that would have been a good choice. Um, the guy who plays Alan York, Richard Berge, was cast oh, and yeah. signed up as Jack Bauer. And then when Keeper Sutherland became available, they're like, ah, yeah, no, we're going to go with Keeper Sutherland. Um, yeah. So we talked about Richard Berge in an episode of Nip Tuck. He was a pretty prominent side guy in Desperate Housewives, I remember. Um, so, yeah, I always find it interesting watching this now going, hey, there's Jack Bauer, <laughs> um, which I think we dodged a bullet with that one. Not to take away from Richard Berge, great guy, looks mm-hmm. like a good actor. But, uh, no, I think Kiefer Sutherland, probably a better choice there. I don't know if you agree yeah. with that. Oh, uh, hands down. I mean, Richard Berge, I mean, I, could you have gotten more than a season out of him? Maybe they could have stuck with their anthology concept if they, he had stayed as Jack. Maybe. And Richard Berge, though, the guy in Nip Tuck who basically fucked furniture. So uh, that was his <laughs> legacy in in Nip Tuck. So uh, that was his role. And uh, one thing, too, you, you alluded to, 24, not a show afraid to kill off main characters. Um, yeah. So this is also a groundbreaking thing. I mean, everyone thinks, oh, Game of Thrones. This was, what, 10 years before Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. So something that did it a long time before. And again, I'm not really into The Sopranos. I'm sure The Sopranos did it. I've heard it did it. So I'm not saying 24 was the first show to do it. But, uh, I mean, at the time, and obviously the end of this season, uh, it was a big thing. It was a huge thing. But uh, anyway, yeah. 
the following takes place between midnight and 1am on the day of the California presidential primary. Events occur in real time. Now, I don't know about you, but pretty much every season after this, I would always add that line of, of the day of the California presidential primary. Um, season it takes a while weird. to get yeah. out of it. Yeah, and I think we get the events occur in real time for like the first half of the season and then we kind of switch to a little montage where it's like, my name is Jack Bauer, terrorists are after my family. This is the longest day of my life. Because um, so nobody knew what a show like this would be. Like, you had to explain it. And this is the thing, too. Like, the this was the, the concept around this was the real time formula. And it, it, it was pretty, it's a pretty cool fo- concept. And I, I actually think that is what drew me to this mainly is when they advertise it and they said, like, this is in real time. And when you hear something like that, it's one of those things that you don't realize is a big deal until you watch something like this. Because. The cool thing I've always wanted to do with 24 is legitimately watch it like in cahoots with the actual time. And I realize like if you analyze it that, yeah, it's a little bit off. Like people have gone through it all and it's not exactly, you know, an hour isn't an hour. They do have a bit of, you know, skipping ahead in some points. But for the most part, it's 90% accurate. And, you know, have an ad break to go to the toilet. Start this at midnight as a binge watch. I'd love to do it one day. Um, but I used to time it. I don't know about you when I was watching an episode live. Mm-hmm. I used to time it. Did you used to do that? You go to a commercial break and you start, you know, looking at the clock. Okay, it's this much time. It's like, oh, no, no, no. They lost a minute there somewhere. Yeah. And this is the thing too. People like, and there are criticisms to this. Like people, oh, they never go to the toilet. They never eat. Like that was the thing. The one that I always found a bit weird, and this, I can say this now having been to LA, I hadn't been to LA at the time, is that everyone is so close to everything in LA. And LA is a big city. Like, I don't think that even in Winnipeg and Victoria, you would be getting to these places as quick. Like, particularly this episode. Like, it's so good that Jack Bauer lives five minutes down the road from the office and that, you know, Kim and Janet went five minutes the other way. Like, it's so convenient that these people are just five minutes away from everything in mega city Los Angeles. But anyway, criticism aside, we're here to talk about the good things, mostly. We'll get to some bad episodes. We're not into season six yet. Um, <laughs> but um, we start off a day. We're actually in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Get a great shot of the Patronus Towers and uh, just some shots of uh, a very sweaty man going inside to a computer. And having been to Malaysia a couple of times, I can vouch for this. This is legitimately what you look like when you are in Malaysia. You are that sweaty and hot. Um, and he rings up the states. We get a. We, I've never. I always forget about this. This shot of the satellite, which feels a bit weird in twenty four now, knowing what twenty four is, kind of having this side shot. Fun fact that uh, that shot of the satellite is a direct shot from the movie Enemy of the State. They uh, mm. apparently just stole it from Enemy of the State. So there you go. Um, he calls up Walsh. We're going to meet Walsh very shortly. That there is a threat. It's going to happen today, and it's going to be on Senator Palmer, which is the. I guess the crux of this season, there's going to be an assassination attempt on presidential candidate uh, David Palmer. And can we just say that, of course, this was 2001. We had not had an African-American president at that point, seven years away. And uh, so this was kind of like a a big thing, like, hey, a first shot for an African-American at the White House. So 24 ahead of its time. Not Again, not Mm -hmm. the first media to ever say that there could be a black president. I mean, Morgan Freeman was president. Deep impact. Yep, exactly. It had happened before, but... um, I know I, they honestly did talk about this at the time of being quite groundbreaking for like the fact yeah. that they portrayed a, a black actor or a black person, I guess, as a president of the United States. Spoiler alert for those who are going to tune in for the long period. And that's one thing we'll say in these recaps. We often don't. We'll try to warn you pre-spoiler. Try to. And we'll try to hold back from them where we can. Particularly with this show. I think this is one where we need to avoid spoilers a lot more. Um, but that's that's what's going to happen. One thing I always like to notice, because this starts at midnight... 
Um, everyone's always up and so awake. Like barely anyone's in bed mm. in Los Angeles on this day, are they? Like <laughs> while at a party, there's like <laughs> candles and he's all dressed up and all that kind of fun stuff. We also get introduced to the uh, you know little things that are a key to twenty four, the real time format, the split screen, which is fantastic because when you're doing real time yeah. and you're kind of going across the different events and everything, but like just the way this kind of goes into it straight away. I mean, it's easy to look at this now and go, well, I'm used to this. I've watched every episode of twenty four. I, I know what it is. The clock on the screen little things like that but at the time it's like wow this is this is really cool like the editing style is really cool that they legitimately will have the clock on the screen telling you the time all clever little things which i think really really add to it and kind of make this what like you you hook to this straight away just with the way they kind of edit it and everything along those lines um so we know that's happening uh, we've also got now our first introduction to the Palmer crew. So we're going to meet Senator David Palmer, his wife, Sherry, and everyone else. They're on a balcony in a hotel. They're, um, I guess, speech writing. They're, they're prepping everything up. All that kind of fun stuff because tomorrow is the presidential primary. Well, technically today is a Not, presidential it, primary. It's the day of the presidential primary. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Colin. I might have uh, there might have been a clue to that somewhere. We might hear that. You only were reminded twenty four times. Which can I just say again? As a fourteen year old, don't know much about this. I I I think I learnt what a presidential primary is when it came to. I remember like uh, Obama and Clinton in two thousand and eight, basically fighting for that Democratic ticket. Right. I mm. knew what that meant because of twenty four. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm meant to as a, an Australian teenager know the ins and outs of US politics. But uh, thanks to 24, I understand slightly what that meant. And they don't really explain what a presidential primary is, but I felt, hey, what is this? What does it mean? I think it's kind of unique. Like, I think it's a good thing that they go with that rather than, hey, let's go on election day or something like that. Like, it's yeah. kind of... The one thing about the first season of 24 is that I think what makes this maybe the best season and it's it's it let's be honest it's a toss-up between this and season five and we will rank the seasons as we always do with these um it's it's clever in the fact that it doesn't go all in guns blazing like it's easy to start off season one with a nuclear bomb threat right or hey there's a threat against the president like things that are going to become the norm this is kind of just like a hey there's an assassination attempted against a guy who's running for president who's not even confirmed as the the person who will be going and like, let's kind of tie this back into a, a campaign back in Eastern Europe. Like it's clever. And I think that kind of is what a, a big thing sold 24. And I don't know how you feel like if this had gone all guns blazing with season one, it's a presidential assassination attempt or as we're going to get in season two, the nuclear bomb threat. Like, I don't know if you feel it would have been a different show or like if it's good that they've started off this way. It would be harder to top it with a second season. Um, and, Personally, I think that it's better to just stick with something simple in the first season like this. Uh, if it's the day of the election, I mean, you don't buy that this is Jack Bauer getting up in the middle of the night. Hey, honey, I'll be back in an hour. And then it ends up being the longest day of his life. It would be the longest day of his life already. So, yeah, I think you needed to be a primary uh, and also just to set up that this isn't something where it's like we're going to kill him on election night. Well, then his vice president is going to take over. This would be about, you know, okay, we're going to kill him so he has no chance for president. At least perspective of CTU, that's where they're like, oh, I think there's a reason why they're trying to get this guy now. And the thing is, too, it's like, um, you know, we're going to find this as a bit of a problem with 24 when it gets to, you know, that season five, season six period, even season four, is that, you know, once you use these big plot devices of a nuclear bomb, a virus, 
you know, these things that in, in terrorist fiction, well, not even fiction, it's real life, obviously, around this time, that once you start using these things, like, you kind of, you're playing all your cards, particularly on a, on a show yeah. this grand scale. I mean, James Bond has a bit of a problem with that, of course, you know, where it's kind of like, well, how do we find a new plot to destroy the world? Like, it's kind of, you've only got a few ways you can do it without, I guess, uh, repeating things and maybe giving real-life terrorists an idea. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I, I like, I've always liked the way that season one starts off with something that in the grand scheme of 24 plots, is a pretty small plot line. Like, let's be honest, the world isn't at stake in this season. Yeah. And that's always, a, you know, you're a spy man, you like spy films and, and literature, so it kind of, you know, it's, it's a lot more of, of that aspect to it. But um, I'm just saying this right now. Uh, I'm, I'm a mad David Palmer. Everyone's a fan of David Palmer. Everyone loves him, of course. Uh, I might be the biggest Sherry Palmer fan on the planet. I will oh, yeah. defend the crap out of Sherry Palmer. She is maybe one of my... Uh, favorite characters. If I had to rank top five characters in 24, I will rank Sherry Palmer in my top five. Penny Johnson, Gerald. Oh, and I, I, I will say I had a crush on her as a 14 year old. <laughs> Don't know what it was, but I did. Just quickly. Oh, what 14 year old wouldn't? Uh, so are you on board? I felt like you weren't on board oh, the, the Sherry no, no, Palmer no, no. train. I think, I think in our backdoor pilot, cause I was remembering that when we were, when I was watching the episode last night, I remember in the backdoor pilot we did that we probably were talking about how great she was as much. As we were talking about Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Totally with you on her. I, I, for some reason I just thought you didn't like her, but, um, oh, she's just, and like, you don't get it until probably like what a quarter of the way into this season, maybe even halfway yeah. through because, and this is the thing, like it's a pilot. We don't know anything about it. And like, again, with any pilot, they didn't know if this was going to get picked up. Like I was reading a fun fact that the, the guy, the creators basically at the end of this episode, when we get David Palmer walking out into his balcony after getting the phone call, they didn't know what that plot line was at that point. So when they're all like, <laughs> oh, you know, just just tabloid garbage and he goes outside, they didn't know what that was going to turn into. So like any pilot, you kind of hope for the best and that you can tie in all these ends to it. Um, and so we didn't know what Sherry Palmer was going to be. It's just like now, we're going to get the only time, I think, in the history of 24 where we've kind of got family man Jack Bauer. I think we get it yeah. a bit in season five when he's in witness protection, spoiler alert, um, with uh, Connie Britton or whatever her name is, um, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of that. But this is family man Jack Bauer playing chess with his daughter, playing let's go tell our daughter off with his wife. Like, it's kind <laughs> of odd watching this, knowing what is to happen. But it's it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to remember that there was a five-minute scene where Jack Bauer's just the dad. And I love how he has this conversation. We meet Kim, we meet Terry, and uh, this whole conversation with Kim when it's basically like, you know, oh, you know, you still not talking to her and it's kind of you meant to be like he's completely against uh, Terry. But And then he's like, you got to go to bed. It's school night. It's like 10 past midnight and you're only telling her <laughs> exactly. this now. <laughs> I was like, there are a few little inconsistencies on things like that with the clock. But, um, yeah, we obviously this is going to be a key part of this season too. Jack's family. We've got Kim. We've got Terry. And let's just remember this moment, Colin, where we live in a moment in 24. Well, we're not quite sick of Kim Bauer. Uh, yeah. I would even say we're not kind of sick of Terry Bauer as well, that they just happen to get into trouble every five minutes. So mm-hmm. we're in that good part of the show. And, like, I'll be honest, <laughs> I don't hate Kim Bauer. I know so many people hate Kim Bauer with a passion. Kim Bauer gets annoying. There's no denying that. When we're in season two, Kim Bauer is arguably the most annoying thing about that season. And it's not Alicia Cuthbert's fault. A lot of people directed hated Alicia Cuthbert. I like Alicia Cuthbert for many reasons. Great Canadian as well. So we've got Canadian on Canadian here. But 
I, I just think it's unfair that everyone lumped on all this hatred because after like season three when she becomes a side character and gets brought in, like she's so important to Jack's background. Of course she is. Mm-hmm. Like after this season, you can't not tie it into everything that happens. So just want to say it right now from the get-go. I'm not a Kim Bauer hater. I'm like, you know, two-thirds of the way there of being a super fan, but she's a bit of a pain in the ass. Initial thoughts on Kim? She's meant to be annoying. I mean, I find it hard to hate, hate her because she serves her purpose, at least in this first season. I, I do think when we get to season two, there's some problems with everything we we're talking about. You know, how are you going to top this? They more or less did the exact same thing with her in the second season, which is, I think, why it's more annoying. By the time you get to the third season, I actually liked her a lot in yeah. season three. I like And then the when they season. would eventually bring her back later on, it was great. Uh, she's not going to be anybody's favorite character on the show, but I think for what she is annoying, that is the purpose. So I'm okay with that. Same with Nina. You know, there's moments where I hate Nina, but I'm supposed to hate Nina. Well, this is the thing that I think that they do very well in this show is because because it is a show of mystery. It's a show of intrigue. We're going to obviously learn there's a mole in CTU and just mark that down, folks. There's like 10 occurrences of that every season, I feel. Um, but like they're trying to throw MacGuffins your way, aren't they? They're trying to make you feel a certain way about a character. I mean, this episode alone, you know, our thoughts on Tony and George basically are kind of mm. made up for us straight away. And at least one of them will become one of the most beloved characters of this show. Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting. And I will say this right now, and I will say this multiple times, and we're still two seasons away from it. I fucking hated Chloe when she started. I could not oh, yeah. stand Everybody Chloe. hated her. <laughs> oh, my God. And she, arguably outside of Jack Bauer, is the most loved character in 24's history. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, we're, we're two seasons away from the second most loved character <laughs> in 24 history. It's weird to think that. But, no, I couldn't stand her. Um, but, yeah, no, Kim Kim definitely, yeah, you know, she goes through a roller coaster ride. <laughs> mostly downwards couple but, times uh, yeah a couple of times but i mean again i'm 14 when i'm watching this show i i like her for many different reasons as a 14 year old <laughs> and i like alicia cusper she's another one of these actors that if i see her in something i'm gonna probably pay attention to it because she never really had much of a career after this i mean not that she didn't work she's done plenty of things else but i don't think she hit peak fan uh fame yeah as she she did after this so uh and i think isn't she still considered like the LA Kings number one super fan? I think, even though she hasn't really been super famous. I always know when they talk about you know big celebrity fans of sporting clubs, Alicia Cuthbert's always mentioned in the LA Kings model. And she's married to a hockey player for a rival team, which is what's funny. <laughs> there you go. But uh, whereabouts in Canada is she from? Am I putting you on the spot there asking you that question? Oh, I would have no idea where she's from. I know that she she worked in TV here. Like, I, I remember even when the show started, I'm like, wasn't she in some TV movie that my mom watched or something? <laughs> uh, but uh, after this, she did a TV show called Happy Endings, which I think made my top shows of all time, which was a comedy, which is completely different. She is much better, I feel, in comedies than she is in dramas, even though I would still rank her as my least favorite on Happy Endings. She, um, Mallory watched a show, uh, the Netflix show with uh, Ashton Kutcher in it. Um, oh, The Ranch. Yeah, and I remember kind of just walking in once when she was watching it, and I'm like, hey, it's Kim. Uh, I'm like, there she is. Uh, and she was, only, she was only 19 in this, so she, I think, is she meant to be 16 in this from memory, or is she meant to be a bit older than that? Maybe she's meant to be like 18, um... Not too no, sure. She'd have to be six because isn't there like, well, I guess it would depend on there's two years gap in between the season and the second season. So mm. she's 18 by the second season. Um, yeah, I remember her. She did that. Was it the Girl Next Door uh, mm-hmm. movie? Um, and so she's from Calgary. Oh, there you go. So why aren't you a, a Flames fan, uh, Alicia? That's that's 
Yeah, anyway. Uh, and then we meet uh, Leslie Hope. Not Leslie Mann. Leslie <laughs> <Yeah>. Hope. <laughs> Which, can we just... Can we, I, the, the funny story here. The reason why I think we finally bit the bullet and started doing this. So, uh, last year when we did our George <laughs> of the Jungle recap and I spent a large portion of that calling Leslie Mann Leslie Hope, that led us into a <laughs> downward path of talking about 24. And yeah. then apparently we decided to put the bullet. So, uh, Leslie Hope, Terry Bauer. Now, i um, got to say it, Colin, um, Jack Bauer has a bit of a thing for short-haired women. Uh, he does. <laughs> <laughs> wife Terry, Nina, both short-haired. Um, but, I, I mean, look, Terry's kind of like Kim in that she can definitely get annoying. Uh, probably the worst plot line maybe in all of 24 happens this season with Terry. Uh, and it's it's the cheapest weakest plot device you can ever use in any television show i hate it i talked about it in nip tuck um talked about it in lost i think maybe in third watch even i hate it i hate it it can never get done the plot device that they use um so that's why i always kind of hold that against terry but at the same time you know terry's terry and i don't know if you ever have a firmly strong opinion either way on terry like you obviously feel for her but she she's not like skylar in in breaking bad where everyone hates on the wife because she's such a nag she's definitely not a nag she holds her own um but yeah i don't know initial thoughts on terry we won't spoil it but there is an iconic moment that's going to happen with her by the end of the season uh which i feel like that sort of overshadows the character and that's one of the problems is that when people remember they don't remember anything terry does in the season i think that's why i would i would rank her on the lower end of female leads in 24 this is also another problem not to draw too many alias comparisons but uh television just in general this time it was all about people's personal lives and i, I feel like interjecting her and Kim in here was because they felt like you had to have a personal life for your lead characters. Whereas the show figured out like alias did by the third season, it actually works better if it's just the work life, you know, because what this guy's doing for a living, you don't want to believe that he has time to call his wife and check on his daughter. Yeah. I mean, I think though, without this situation, um, it is a different show though. Like, yeah, I get, I totally get, I mean, by the end, you know, this is, this is why this feels a bit weird. Cause you know, we know Jack Bauer is just this work. I mean, this is, I think, maybe the only occasion. I think no, season three maybe, where he literally starts the season as a member of twenty uh, of twenty four, a member of CTU, right? Like he's he's the the boss guy in twenty four right now. He's the whatever you call him, the the head of CTU at this point. So it, it comes a bit of a trope every season where it's like they've always got to find a way for him to get back into CTU. So it's kind of a, it's a unique situation. But I don't know. I I think the fact that he's got a family. I mean, it, definitely for this season alone, it works a treat. And I think kind of without this season moving forward, you know, it, it, I think what happens in this season is important for his character. Uh, let's yeah. just say that without um, going too much with spoiling because I might spoil it, Colin, and we don't want to spoil it, do we? Don't spoil it. Or we'll just spoil it and we'll claim it as Leslie Mann. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I, I'll just blame Noah because I think Noah spoils everything <laughs> in Lost and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. They're all not really dead. They're in purgatory. Um, we're not up to that yet. <laughs> that's the same end. That's what happens to Leslie Mann. He ends up in purgatory. They all meet up in a church. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> this is how we avoid spoilers. We change the actors' names and we mix it up with one of our other shows. Easy. That That's the best way to do it. Uh, so as we mentioned, we're not sick of Kim. We're not sick of Terry. But uh, I think uh, Jack and Terry are sick of Kim because, again, she's gone to bed and uh now this means that they're going to go talk to her because terry basically tells jack that she's manipulating you jack uh of all the people in 24 who manipulate jack yeah probably <laughs> kim is the, is the one that kind of 
leads that into it. So uh, they... it's all her fault. You know what? This show would have been over after season one if it wasn't for Kim. Yep. Yep. You well, know how much destruction and death that woman caused? It's funny because uh, those Jack Bauer facts, it was like, if people actually listen to Jack Bauer, this show would be called 2, not 24. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I kind of find it weird because, like, we had this moment where, like, Kim walks past her mum and, like, she's like, night, honey. And Kim's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, we're meant to believe that she kind of, like, hates her. But, like, by the end of this episode, she's like, oh, I've got five missed calls from my mum. Better go home. Uh, like, I, yeah. I feel like they never play up to this whole angle of she's meant to hate because she blames her for the fact that Jack's left and i always forget that's a plot line that jack's only just come home because he's gone off and banged nina for a while um which <laughs> and kim doesn't know that does she no no she so doesn't. like if you're terry wouldn't you be like hey listen your dad's the one who's sleeping around but i think terry kicked jack out i remember this is one of those few things where i'm a little bit foggy on the details but i'm pretty sure terry kicked jack out it's not like jack was doing this behind terry's back like i think it was kind of the friend's argument we were on a break so, yeah. um, and we're going to find out in this season that Terry's not exactly innocent. She's off been <laughs> sort of seeing a guy. So, you know, and also something else happens in this season, which is a little bit of a blurred line. But anyway, so yeah, they're going to go stand up to Kim and, uh, but <gasps> no, she's gone. And, um, one thing I will say about this whole scene is that just remember this scene because it, this scene becomes important in the final episode. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, the flashback nature of 24 is not a thing. Maybe the only time we ever get a flashback is based on this scene. So I uh, just remember that at the end of this season. But uh, a typical teenage girl's room from 2001. I'm, I know, Colin, you were more of a teenager in 2001 than I was. And I'm sure you spent plenty of those years in teenage girls' rooms. Um, oh, but- <laughs> I, more than I did my own. <laughs> <laughs> Green Day posters. Um, Tupac. Tupac, Lincoln Coldplay. Park. Coldplay. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. If you're into like Tupac, Lincoln Park, Green I Day, know. you're not into Coldplay. Uh, I had <laughs> issues with her room. It was like, I, I think we talked about this in um, uh, uh, a recent episode. What was it? No, we talked about this, not you and me, but Rossi and I talked about this in Jamie. Rocky. Uh, Rocky, sorry, Rocky and I <laughs> talked about this. Uh, when you get middle-aged filmmakers who think they're in touch with kids, but instead they're like, oh, what do all the kids listen to? Tupac, yeah, and Coldplay, yeah. <laughs> no, no no one kid is listening. And if they are listening to it, they're not putting posters of Coldplay on it. You don't admit you listen to Coldplay if you listen to Tupac or Green Day. Well, one thing I will say, though, about Coldplay in their early days is that they, they weren't as, like, nowadays they're kind of just considered, like, the generic white person's band, right? Whereas, yeah. like, I will say, like, my sister has a more inclined music taste of to what a person probably should, not listening to Madonna and things like that like I do. Um, but <laughs> she would listen to maybe like Green Day when they started and all that sort of stuff. She actually didn't. I remember she had a weird Coldplay obsession around about the same time, like a rush of blood to the head sort of before Coldplay ever fully sold out. And I like Coldplay. I'm a white guy. Of course I like Coldplay. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's weird, but maybe not as weird as you maybe think. But if you like Tupac, you don't like Coldplay. I'm sorry. I, 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 this is just completely off topic, but to me, Coldplay is just U2 light. Like they're like boring <laughs> version of U2. They don't have the cool front man with the sunglasses. They don't have the cool guitar player with 
the sunglasses. <laughs> they don't have the other two guys without sunglasses. Well, their lead singer has a child named after a fruit and was married to Gwyneth Paltrow. Bono doesn't have that going for him. Bono's married He's got the to name. charity. He's got the name Bono. He doesn't need anything else. Well, again, you two similar to Coldplay, though. Boo two, you two was kind Boo-too. of. Boo two. It's a Halloween version. Uh, you two were were cool in the eighties, like you know, rattle yeah. and hum, all those kind of things. Like that was when they. It's again when they sold out is when they all of a like you know. See, look at this Taylor Swift. Do you think you're cool because you sold out? Like you two and Coldplay did it before you. Come on, get over it. Who do you think Kim's listening to now? Um, Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> um, who's the guy with all the um, the tattoos on his face? Oh, um, uh, yeah, what's his name? Uh, Post Malone. Post Malone, yeah. Bit yeah, of Kim's Drake. big into Post Malone. Well, she's Canadian. She's supporting Drake, isn't she? You know? Yeah, and you know, with, with the Coldplay, Tupac thing, you know she's also listening to Bieber and Sam yeah. Smith. Absolutely. Oh, God, no one listens to Sam Smith. <laughs> um, Sam Smith doesn't listen to Sam Smith. So anyway, <laughs> she snuck out. Jack then gets called. One thing I noticed in this episode, uh, everyone's so casual about getting phone calls at like midnight. Like everyone just answers the phone like at seven o'clock at night. Like, hello. It's like, it's kind of like, do you have no idea what time it is? Like if I'm getting a phone call at 20 past midnight, I don't answer it. Fuck off. <laughs> you know, what? I with, with my job, I actually do uh, have to do on call, which typically comes down to somebody else who's on call isn't answering their phone. Can you get a hold of them? Uh I think twice I've been called in the middle of the night. The last time it happened, basically the next morning, it was like, that should have never happened. I'm paying you overtime because you, nobody should have been bothering you at 2 a.m. Yeah. Jack, is he getting over? I hope he's getting overtime. He's got to be. But, like, but this is the thing. Like, This is the only time I feel in all of 24 in which Jack basically almost declines to come in. Like I, I realize yeah. that moving on when that becomes a plot device. Oh, we're going to get Jack in again. Like, There's a bit of negativity. But this is full on Jack. Like, I'm busy. I'm busy with my family. Fuck off. Um, yeah. But, like, he's literally like, no, I'm not coming in. But it's like, oh, you have to. Like, you know, there's a briefing. And, of course, we kind of get these little things like, oh, it's all right, honey. I'll just be, like, less than an hour. We'll be home and we can look for Kim. <laughs> I'll be home within the hour. <laughs> I just I just want, like, this to be completely redone. And Jack basically stands up to watch. No, I've got a family. I'm going home. <laughs> and then, like, this becomes Tony's problem or Nina's problem for the rest of this day. <laughs> Alan York uh, is yeah. Here. Alan York, we're gonna call in Alan York, the, the presidential candidate, about to be assassinated. Alan York, that's our guy. Richard Berge, you're in. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Jack's gonna go into the office again. The office is just down the road. I, I always, I, I do love Jack Bauer, the bastard father, who's like calling up Kim's ex boyfriend. <laughs> like, holy crap, <laughs> that guy is screwed. What's his name? Vincent. He's like, Vincent, Jack Bauer. <laughs> um, I kind of like this guy is just like a stoner and he's just like laying there with candles. Why do the kids have candles? Another thing, Kim's run out with candles lit in a room. Fire hazard, yeah. Kim. Um, just come on. Um, you think she's like, oh, my mom called five times. The candles, no! <laughs> That's why she's worried. <laughs> um, but I just love Jack you're on the phone just so casual to Vincent. I was like, no, no, Mr. Bell, we broke up. Uh, and he's like, oh, she snuck out, did she? Uh, and let's be honest, this is the type of guy Kim's seeing, right? Like this douche, shirtless stoner. Um, all this little... guy's way too relaxed for Jack Bauer yeah. to be like the dad of his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, maybe. This I mean, is... if, if Jack Bauer is calling me to say, hey, you want to do brunch? I'm crapping myself already, you know? 
But mind you, though, again, this is like where we need if they ever bring 24 back, which let's be honest, they probably will because it always comes mm-hmm. back some way. Um, th- we need the the prequel series of Jack Bauer's time in between, you know, when he wasn't with CTU anymore, <laughs> right? Like he's just the, the dad, the the suburban dad. Jad, Jack dropping the kids off to school, going to brunch. Uh, <laughs> Planting lilacs in the backyard. <laughs> Watching the game. Uh, <laughs> fantasy football. Damn it. <laughs> Icing his cupcakes. Yeah, just, you know, casual Jack. Uh, coming soon to Fox. <laughs> um, so he's driving off. Again, the office is just down the road. Uh, he's on the phone. We meet Nina for the first time. Sarah Clark. I like Sarah Clark. Uh, can I just say, fun fact, she was only cast the day that this uh, pilot started filming and they didn't have a costume for her. So she had to wear the clothes that she was wearing when she went in to basically be cast and that became her outfit for the entire day. So uh, there you go, Sarah Clark. Thoughts on Nina? Let's get it off the, everything off the table right now. Well, I mean, if, if look, the twist of Nina is what, what twist, makes Colin? her interesting. The, oh, the <laughs> twist that we're not going to spoil. Uh, <laughs> There's no twist to Nina. What are you Where talking she, about? She suddenly, she suddenly becomes Leslie Mann. Uh, <laughs> you mean the Nina from Third Watch, don't you, Colin? <laughs> that, exactly, because I know exactly who Nina from Third Watch is. Um, I'll just say this. I, I think that she does something really right in this role because I loved Nina on this show. Uh, another show I'm going to mention a lot over the next four years is uh, Covert Affairs, which is another spy show. Uh, more similar in style to Alias, but they had a tendency to cast actors who are on 24 to literally play the exact same role. So if you know who Nina becomes in this show, uh, you probably already have most of Covert Affairs spoiled. And there's going to be other actors who are going to come up who played literally the exact same character. On Covert Affairs, though, I don't know if it means that she did it better or worse. That I despise her. Literally playing the exact same character, but could not stand her hated her guts on this show i loved her like she was maybe my favorite thing about this entire season i'm just looking at her filmography uh i remember watching the show commander in chief do i remember her being in it no i do remember she was in that movie 13 i remember watching and i think kind of a large portion why i watched that movie was because hey like nina's in it and that was kind of you know I was doing that. apparently she was in the twilight movies <laughs> wow. she's married to xander berkeley Oh, yeah, I knew that. I actually, I did know that. Um, and are they still, they are still married. Good for them, lasting wow. in Hollywood. Um, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that because I actually forgot that they were married, but I did know that. But, uh, no, she, she's great and uh, a very important person in 24. Don't worry, we'll uh, get to all of that throughout this season. But uh, More Jack- just than her sleeping with Jack. Exactly, exactly. Jack only lives like two minutes away from the office because he's already here. Um, everyone's being called in. We see a glance of uh, Tony for the first time and the flavor saver. I had a flavor saver for a large portion of the <laughs> mid two thousands, and I'm saying it was because of Tony Almeida. Like I, I people Australians will say You're it's because of it. Shannon Noll. I'm owning it. It was because of Tony Almeida, <laughs> and here it is. This is where we're essentially, I think, meant to think Tony's a dick or Tony's evil, basically, aren't we? Because Tony's cold and aloof to Jack. He doesn't like Jack, and he's he's the one who's always going to go against Jack's orders, and Jack's telling him to do something, and he's like, why do I have to do that? It's weird seeing, like, Tony is one of the more interesting characters in 24, particularly the later seasons when he comes into it, and they kind of just... Yeah, I love Tony. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a I'm on the Tony fan wagon. I'm like every normal twenty four mm. fan. I love Tony, but I just feel they they go weird with his character, and I don't know if I yeah. like what they do with his character. So yeah, initial thoughts on Tony. We're meeting him here for the first time. 
I mean, I hated Tony for all of season one. And again, I think that was kind of the point. I mean, it exists to draw suspicion away from another character uh, or multiple other characters. Uh, and they do a really good job with that. I, I can just remember watching this. He's one of these guys, I've mentioned this with other shows before, for whatever reason, you just want to punch him in the face. You know, you look at him, you're like, Ugh. You know what? There's something about you. Your face just is 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 asking for it, okay? <laughs> um, and maybe just he did it so well in this season, just sort of being a bit of that douche, even though he's not, that even in season two, I still had the same resentment towards Tony, and it really took to the end, I'd say, of season two for me to come around on him. And Carlos Bernardo plays him. He's one, like, he hasn't really done anything outside of no. 24. Uh, and, like, I will say, like, we talked a lot in Third Watch about, and, and Nip Tuck, funnily enough, about how a lot of these actors really, you know, are great actors and they don't go on to do many things. And while 24, I don't think, really suffers that same fate because you can't say Keith Sutherland didn't get lots of work after this and, uh, you know, Dennis Haysbert got kept busy, Alicia Cuthbert, as we said, didn't do anything notable. I mean, a lot of these guys went on to do a lot of things, but maybe not as prominently as you thought. 24 probably did the opposite where they had a lot of prominent actors coming in who were well-known for other things as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Carlos Pena is one of those ones that didn't really do anything after this. The other one we'll talk about when we get to uh, season two and beyond is uh, Rico Aylesworth, Michelle. Aylesworth, yeah. Who I'm a mad fan of hers. She she, she didn't do a lot, but a few different things here and there. I think she was in one of the Alien vs. Predator movies from memory. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so it's interesting because Carlos Bernard, is, he's a solid actor. He's not he's not going to, you know, he doesn't break the world of acting down. He's not, you know, Meryl Streep. Um, but, but in this role, I think he is, or he will become that in this role. I mean, yeah. arguably, I mean, Jack gets all the best moments in the series. If there's anybody who's able to rival you know, how complex their role was and, and how many like really meaty scenes they got. Carlos Bernard got a lot. I, once yeah. we get to season three, four, I mean, definitely and beyond five. that. Yeah. And five. Yeah. But and- uh, it's, it's unfortunate because I feel like he had all the star potential and for whatever reason just was pigeonholed into this is Tony. And what, what happens with this character, I guess is understandable. Like, you always feel they would do that with a character in this show and again, without spoiling too much, like it makes sense on paper, but kind of once that happens with his character, it's kind of like, they just don't know what to do with him anymore. Um, and I mean, he, he's the only connection, uh, from memory. There might be another character. I could be, uh, again, I, I I blanked it from my memory legacy, but from memory, he is the only connection between legacy and the original, uh, timeline. Again, legacy is in the 24 world. It exists in the universe. Mm -hmm. It's continuity, everything along those lines. But uh, from memory, he's the only character that appears in both. But there could be another one that I'm missing. Uh, I'll have to. If he, is, if there is anybody else, he's the only one that gets anything memorable. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, we we meet him for the first time. Kim, meanwhile, we've got Janet, uh, beloved Janet. Uh, I actually like Janet. She's she's not not in this for very long, but uh, I don't, I don't mind Janet. Um, they're driving off. They're meeting these boys in a furniture store because this is what kids did in 2001. They snuck out and went to a furniture store to meet. Always guys. furniture stores. <laughs> Always furniture stores. Uh, so we meet uh, Rick and uh, what's the other guy's name? Dean? Dan? Dan. It's Dan. Uh, let's Rick call and, him Dan. Let's, let's call him Dan. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, I bought you an ice cream. Um, here he is, the esteemed Dan. Um, and, uh, Janet and Dan are going to go off and fuck basically while, uh, Kim meets, uh, Rick straight away. And we like Rick. Well, we think we like Rick. <laughs> um, 
anyway, he's in a van because that's where they did. They start dancing on a table. All the little subtle references like clock. We see a lot of clocks, right? We hear the music on the radio mentions like 24 hours. Um, and then also another thing too, everything in LA is close and there's never any traffic in LA. Can we just point out this is a big <laughs> trope of 24 that people complain about. Again, massive city, one of the busiest cities in the world, never any traffic. So, uh, and I realize it's after midnight, but still there is traffic in LA at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> Not like there is at 8am, but still remember that at 8am when there's still also no traffic on the road. Um, <laughs> So we had the meeting here. Walsh basically tells them that Palmer, there's a hit against Palmer. We meet Jamie as well. I'll get your thoughts on Jamie in a minute because you remember Jamie existed. <laughs> um, basically, you know, we need intel and all this sort of stuff. Walsh keeps Jack back, says, hey, you should be careful. There's probably a mole on CTU. Uh, so remember that. And again, at the time, this was like, ooh, this is going to make it nerve-wracking. But again, you kind of get sick of the fact that there's possibly a mole on CTU after about the fifth time they've done it. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of setting up the season. Jack's not going to be home within an hour. Um, I'll also maybe just lump in um, another scene with David and Sherry Palmer on the balcony. We hear about a photographer coming in. We've heard that the assassin of David Palmer is possibly outside of America, possibly German. So, of course, here's yet another MacGuffin of Mr. Photographer on the plane flying in from Munich, uh, a photographer that is coming in to see Palmer later that day. So, of course, you think that this is the guy. Not that yeah. very attractive woman sitting next to him could possibly not be Mandy, who is an amazing character. We'll get to her. So maybe I'll just cap it there. Thoughts on uh, things I've mentioned. And maybe also, too, I should say, thoughts on David Palmer, because I don't bless you. I don't think I got you to uh, give me a take on David Palmer as well. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm surprised going back and watching this for the first time in a long time, because I think I watched the show and originally aired, but uh, I missed more than one episode. Like you, you said you missed one. You're like, what just happened? Uh, I didn't catch every single episode. But so it once the season was finished, I had some gaps in there. So I went back and watched the first season straight through as soon as they released it on DVD. Uh, maybe watched the first season a year or two after that. But it's been a long time since I've seen this all the way through. Uh, but what's always surprising with any show is when you go back and it feels like these are different characters. Usually it's because somebody hasn't found their footing yet. You know, they're just new to the role and they sort of discover it throughout the course of the season. Um, that's what I think it is with uh, Dennis Hayes especially. I mean, he seems to be playing a completely different guy. Sometimes you could just use the excuse and say, Oh, well, it's because nothing bad has happened to him yet. You know, in this case, it literally feels like a different character. Like he's way too, we're going to get the moment, you know, like I said about the big grumpy bear, which is just no David Palmer that I know would ever be Mr. Grumpy Bear. Uh, but I do love Dennis Haysbert. Uh, he was in Major League. He was in all the Major League movies. I think uh, one of only two actors who was in all three Major League movies, not that the third one exists. Uh, but he was brilliant to that as a, as a comic actor. And I think it was just before this, or maybe it was just after 24 where he did a movie called Far From Heaven with Julianne Moore, that there was like serious Oscar buzz for him that year. Uh, but it was so weird for me for the first time watching this, seeing Pedro Serrano, the kind of goofy voodoo, you know, uh, home run hitter from uh, the major league movies and realizing he's not actually, you know, from the Caribbean. Uh, he's he's not actually a voodoo doctor. He, he is a real person. Uh, it was so unusual. I don't think that I ever noticed the same difference that I did with Palmer, where it's a different character. I never noticed that with Jack until this recent time watching it. But it felt so weird. 
And to me, I was thinking was the same thing. It was like, you know, with Dennis Haysbert, he hadn't found the role yet, but I don't think that's the case with him. I think it is just because this is the only time we are ever going to see Jack Bauer living a normal life. Hmm. Every other time we've seen him, like you said, season five later on, he's living a normal life, but he's still got, you know, the, the, Jack the cloud. We know well, and the lost. cloud of everything that's happened before is hanging yeah. over his head. Right now, the worst thing that's happened is he had a separation from his wife or whatever, and his you know daughter stays up too late on a school night. That's hmm. that's all he has. It was just weird to watch him though. But it it is one hundred percent intentional that his character is different here because he's going to be Jack Bauer by the time he meets George Mason. You know, it, it takes no time at all, and he's arguably playing the exact same character he would play nine years later when he did Live Another Day. Um, but those early scenes, some of the things you see Jack Bauer doing is more shocking. People get desensitized to violence, you know? Uh, what passes a horror film in the 30s uh, is a comedy now. Uh, we get desensitized to Jack. So, so to just see Jack Bauer arguing with Kim about, no, 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 you you call her by her name, which was also unintentionally funny. He says, you call her by her name, mom. <laughs> <laughs> her name is Mom Bauer. <laughs> is this her driver's license? Wow, she was destined to be a mother. <laughs> yeah, you could have said you call her by Mom, but you call her by your name, Mom. <laughs> her name is Mom Terry Bauer. <laughs> Terry is the middle name. Uh, but that whole Leslie whole life Mann thing is, is her name. <laughs> Leslie Mann Mom. <laughs> It was just so weird watching that home life, Jack. But I loved it. Like I kind of want to see that prequel, like you said. Um, and the other thing that bothered me aside from the candles is if Kim's big plan is to sneak out of the house, then why does she leave the music blasting at 12 o'clock at night? I would guess her intention is to come back shorter than within the hour. Like Jack thinks he is, mm. but she's intending to stay out all night. So her cover is I'm going to blast the music. So what at three in the morning, the parents aren't going to be banging on your door saying, turn down Coldplay, turn down Lincoln Park. I'm tired of this in the end song. You know, uh, I don't have love for California love anymore, Kim. This is the worst cover ever for her to sneak out of the house. I mean, maybe she wanted to get caught. I don't know. Um, uh, Janet, let's be honest. This is the best Mata of 24 universe, right? <laughs> she serves one person purpose to be the friend that encourages her to do something that gets her into trouble for the rest of her life. Uh, I don't really have a problem with her. I mean, she serves her purpose She's the, in this the episode. Three, four episodes. Like this is a 24 trope. It will have when we get yeah. to John Boyega and Rami Malek, this is all they are. They're just, you know, yeah, there's always like, the young yeah. character, like usually very young character, sometimes teenage character that is only there to get into trouble for the first couple episodes to set everything off. Yeah. Um, I guess some of the other ones here, uh, let, let's talk about Jamie while we're at it. Cause I think she's the first person we meet at CTU. I, she might even be, I think Nina's mentioned when he's on the phone with her, but as far as meeting it, I'm shocked that I didn't remember this because again, we did the uh, season long recap a couple years ago and I, I'm sure we talked about Jamie at some point in that episode. I knew who Jamie was. When you watch a show for the first time in a long time, things will come back to you. I saw her on screen. I'm like, yeah, that's that girl. <laughs> and all I could think about is like, she's the female version of Milo. Completely forgot what happened to her. It took me half of this episode for it to come up. Why do I feel like something big happens with Jamie? <laughs> and I wanted to Google it, but then it eventually came to me. But it's like, it's shocking. It took me that long to remember the Jamie story arc in this, in this season. I hope like, you, I you remember you... later on in this season when we get Milo that he becomes like a main character in season six. You remember that, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's probably why I remember Milo a little bit more than I remember uh, Jamie. Uh, but last night, right after I'd watched this and we were ironing out the details of when we were going to be recording, uh, I said, I've already forgotten one of these main characters existed. And your first response was, it was Jamie, wasn't it? Like, did you have the same reaction? No, or you just I, forget I, about her? I didn't. But I just, I, I know that... Um, of all of them, I would say she would have to be the least memorable that like she's only in it for a select period of time. And there's something quite memorable that happens with her. But um, yeah, I, I like, I think, yeah, I, I don't forget her. Cause again, I know this season quite well, but I, I guess kind of, if you don't know it that well, she's easily forgettable. Yeah. Uh, I also always found it interesting. We don't really know what people's shift times are in 24 because <laughs> no matter what season or what time everything starts at, they're always there at work. If it's midnight, if it's 8 a.m., uh, but Jack's the only one I think that's actually coming in for this meeting. Tony, we're assuming this is his shift. He works the overnight shift, you know? Well, Jamie came in. <laughs> ja- Jamie said she, because she, she has that she thing. Came in? Yeah, she says that thing where she's like, oh, what are we doing here? And Nina's like, am I interrupting your social life? And she's like, oh, at least I have one. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the social life, yeah. But, I mean, this is Tony's shift time. Like, he's the overnight guy at CTU. Uh, that's something weird that's just always nothing else really to add other than that I've just always been fascinated with you know are these the day shift people at some point does a relief person come in so they can take a nap for two hours so they have fresh people when when a bomb is about to go off I don't know yeah I don't know Um, I mean it's very casual and don't worry there's there's one moment in this episode which is the most casual reaction to something major happening ever uh, which we'll get to Um, but uh, yeah I don't know like it's kind of Tony's just there Tony doesn't go home and we haven't met Cubby yet now I think we talked a little bit about this in our our season recap a few years ago and I don't know how entrenched you were in the 24 fandom but uh, are you familiar with who or what Cubby is? Broccoli? <laughs> uh, yes, Cubby Broccoli <laughs> is in 24. No, um, at some point we will see Tony Almeida has a Chicago Cubs mug and basically it got to a point where fans loved it so much they adopted it and gave it a name called Cubby and the writers <laughs> played up to this so they would always try and fit it into every single scene because it's a Carlos Bernard is a massive Chicago Cubs fan so it was kind of he brought it in. The other similar thing that happens is Jack Bauer's man bag, his satchel bag, became its own character. <laughs> the fans loved it so much. I don't think they gave the man bag a name. But then the right, and one thing I'll say about the writers of this show is that they listened to fans and they would play up to fan fandom a lot of the way. Um, they, they, we'll get to it. I think it's season two it comes into it the first time they had the fan phone, which was a, a, a thing where essentially often throughout the series when you see a phone number, they would randomly put a real phone number and they would legitimately have an actor waiting. Like, they'd say, like, okay, Keeper, oh. you're on that phone for 12 hours. So people would ring this number when it aired and legitimately Keeper Sutherland would answer. Like, hey, how you doing? And, like, Carlos Bernard would answer. Hey, how you <laughs> wow. doing? Like, this was a thing that actually, I don't know how many seasons they did it for. But when I think after they discovered this was a thing, they stopped doing it because everyone expected that Keeper Sutherland was going to answer. But they legitimately did this. So the fan, the, the writers played up to the fandom of this show. So the point is, when we see Cubby, I'll try and remember to point it out. And when we start seeing Jack Bauer's man bag, uh, that that becomes a, a thing as well. I'll just say with Palmer, Dennis Haysbert, I, I'm not, I've never seen the Major League moves, wasn't familiar with him beforehand. To me, he's always just David Palmer. Um, I see what you're saying about the character, but I also kind of think it plays into it at the same time. Like, yeah, the bear thing is weird. But, like... <laughs> really weird. <laughs> there, there is something that I like about it, though, because it, to me it's it's just the start. It's like seeing Jack and Family Man. Like, it's it's where they begin and what we know them as and they build up to what we know as. I think it's it works. And same with, like, Sherry. Like, Sherry's the supporting wife here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. 
is this a thing? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It kind of, it, it works for me. I, I don't really see it as a glaring issue. But again, maybe I've seen the show too many times and I'm just used to it. So Maybe it's just seeing him so jovial and smiling and joking. <laughs> it just makes me think that he's this character from Major League. You know, I want him to break out his voodoo doll and his <laughs> bat with hats on it and, you know, uh, cry when he hits a bird in the sky. Like <laughs> It's just too unusual. Dennis Haysbert needs to be either ultra serious or a complete goofball. Well, one thing actually that... Um... You know, there'll be things that are dated, like technology, things like that will be dated in this, uh, and like the torture things and that will be dated. But the the bit there where Walsh is kind of telling um, Jack about like how like, you know, oh, the, the first African-American with a genuine shot at, at the White House, if he gets mm-hmm. assassinated, this will destroy this country. Like, it's still pretty relevant to the day, isn't it? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to think this is 20 years old now. But yeah, that I mean, that's not you a good know- thing. It's also uh, weird. I thought about this when we were watching the episode. Obviously, the connection would be, you know, Obama was elected seven years later. We are way further removed from when Obama was elected than the Mm. time in between David Palmer (laughs) on our fictional TVs to Obama in real life. Yeah, that's that's seven years. And we're like, what, 12 years? Like, it's it's just weird to think about those timelines. 20 years since the show existed. But it actually, in retrospect, it wasn't even that long after this that david palmer actually existed yeah exactly and like i remember like when obama uh, became a thing and was like you know it was a genuine shot there was i remember seeing like you know these background things and weird sort of pop culture shows that i watched and they would often say like hey like you know dennis haysbert being president was like a key thing in television that you know and like it sounds it sounds silly but like i mean things like this i'm not saying obama ran for president because of 24 i mean if he said that then great this show <laughs> becomes even more relevant but um you know, like, I mean, it wasn't something that people did back then. It's like, you know, you, you can't not talk about Richard Hatch winning Survivor as being a big yeah. thing for, like, for gay people. Or, like, at that point in television when you got shows like Will and Grace on and things like that. Like, it, it's a it's a favorite word I like to use on some other podcasts, context. You've got to put yourself back in that zone when this show was a thing. And we look at this now and go, yeah, so a, a, a black president, what's, what's the deal? But back then, it never happened before. So, you think you know. anybody's ever going to own up? And say, you know what? I became president because of Charles Logan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Donald Trump. Um, (laughs) uh, So, yes. um, Other things too that seem a little bit weird is Jack being a bit aloof like with Nina, like keeping secrets from her and all this kind of thing, like not being a bit trustworthy with her. And it's kind of weird seeing calm Jack. To me, the the weirdest thing is not nearly family Jack. It's, Jack Bauer, Office Jack, CTU Jack, just kind of like on a computer going, ha I'm not going to tell you anything. And just like, yeah. Office Jack. Like, that's weird to me. Um, Tara rings up. She's found joints in the drawer. Oh, no, her teenage daughter smokes weed. Um, <laughs> they even kind of blow it off too. Like, well, I know it's not the worst thing in the world, but yeah. she did sneak out and leave candles burning in her room. <laughs> that That's more believable to me. Parents of Kim Bauer. Like, yeah, Jack's going to be an incredibly, like, you know, protective father. But, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, teenagers right smoking weed i mean it's not heroin no (laughs) flash forward a couple years yeah jack Uh, you (laughs) hypocrite (laughs) so kim's bonding with rick on the roof she lies that her dad's dead um we meet xander berkeley the beautiful xander berkeley coming in george mason for the first time he's another MacGuffin. oh maybe he's evil because of course we know that there's a mole in ctu uh, and I've got to say, like, Jack, Jack's a, a, you know, a action first, think second type guy, right? This is going to become mm. a thing. I mean, one of the most iconic scenes is in the premiere of season two when it comes to that notion. We're going to need a hacksaw. Like, oh, what yeah. a scene. Um, 
this is literally Jack's motive here right now. He knows that there's a mole in CTU. He's been told by what Walsh could be the mole. Maybe Walsh is saying this to throw people off his back. Like that would have been a great plot twist. Spoiler alert, he's not. Um, but Xander Berkeley, George Mason, who's what, like the director or something like that. Like he's, he's a big boss, comes in. And he's like, hey, here's a disc for you. This has got all the information you need for today to background check on who could be an assassin of David Palmer. Jack's like, cool, great. So where's this from? Oh, I can't tell you. It's classified. Jack's like, okay, well, I want you to tell me. George Mason's like, no, I'm your boss. I don't need to tell you. You need to do this. Jack's like, but I can't do my job without you telling me. And George's like, no, I'm your boss. Do as you're told. So Jack's like, okay. So then he gets up. He's like, here's the thing, George. I need you to tell me. I need you to call Chappelle. And uh, ask at least for me. So George's like, okay, cool. So Jack leaves the office. Admittedly, George is a bit of a dick. He rings up the talking clock. Remember, that was a thing. And to which Jack then decides, rather than confronting him about it, like, hey, George, just letting you know, um, I know you're lying to me. What's the deal, bro? He gets a tranquilizer gun and just walks <laughs> in and shoots him. Now, I'm not complaining because this is what makes Jack Bauer Jack Bauer. He just does shit, which is awesome, and he just shoots his boss. But, I mean, we're getting to know this character at this point. He's loving family man Jack Bauer, and all of a sudden he's willing to shoot his boss with a tranquilizer gun. Great for the character. We know he's willing to do anything. But at the same time, is this really the best way to get this information? It's a bit of a stretch. Like, I think this is the first, and it's not going to be the last time this season where I, I sort of check out as far as, like, you know, plausibility goes uh i buy that jack bauer would do this but i feel like he would uh he would definitely he would definitely take a couple extra steps we're doing it. it wouldn't this isn't like he's like we've only got to the end of the hour you know american idol starts at eight um this is jack who's just this is his first instinct and i don't buy that this would be the guy that like all of you know the the the, the potential president's life is in your hands. You're the only one I trust. And he's like, I know what I need to do. I need to drug my boss and choke him out on a couch. Yeah. I think he would have a little bit longer of a conversation. It's a little bit of a stretch. And this leads essentially, the reason he wants to do this is because he wants to hold something over George's head, right? So he's heard that George pocketed some money from a, a previous mission, $200,000, which he finds is the case. He gets uh, Nina to get Tony to hack into the, the the information to find it. This is where we find that clearly Tony's got a thing for Nina. He doesn't trust Jack. So there's kind of all this sort of side plot. This is where we find out that Jack and Nina have been sleeping with each other. We also find out a few little things here, which I always forget a plot line. It's not really a big deal. I think you don't really need to know much about it, that Jack ratted out some bad people. And of course, yeah. if, it, if anybody watches any type of cop shows, if you're work for a government agency or a police force and you you're a rat you're a bad person even though oh but i did a good thing so kind of little things there to know that jack's really a good guy so you know side bits there um i also like jack here when he's talking with jamie to hack into uh his own phone number to find passwords. i mean this is a thing right like hey can you hack into my phone number to find my internet passwords oh 2001 hackers they had it easy didn't they <laughs> yes they did uh <laughs> I get your passwords by doing the same thing, by the way. Yeah. I mean, this, let's be honest. This is how they found Osama Bin Laden, right? They literally just found the terrorist <laughs> yeah. phone numbers, hacked into it, got their passwords. Boom. There's Osama Bin Laden. There he is. That's um, what Jamie exists for. Take yeah. up Bin Laden. And the other thing, too, that I find funny is that when they eventually get into Kim's emails, there's an email between Janet and Kim saying, hey, here's the address. We're going to a furniture store. Now, didn't <laughs> Kim, when she got in the car, act surprised? Like, we're going to a furniture store? And also, like... 
2001, did kids, like, I was 14, you were what, old? Like, did we communicate with our friends with email? I mean, I think, like, that was still when we rang people up. I didn't, I don't think text messages were quite a thing then. I don't remember email being a thing. I feel like we actually used a phone and rang people up at that point. And that's probably more secure than emailing where your parents can actually read your emails. Plus, Kim's not driving. Why does she need to know where they're going and what the address is? Yeah. Like, if somebody's coming to pick you up, like, okay, we're going to be going to this address exactly. Now, the directions are you want to turn right on 3rd Street. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to be driving. <laughs> That's not part of this email. And this is the thing. Like, I get it. You need it to have a, a plot point to drive the story forward. I understand. And clearly, we didn't really have text messages, whereas if this was today, it would be based on, hey, Kim left a phone behind. He's a text message. I get it. But, I mean, at the same time, it's one of these convenient things. Like, plot's got a yeah. plot. But, I mean, it's still like, okay, sure. Um, we also have Alan York calling up for the first time. Here's Richard Berge. Uh, beautiful Richard Berge couch fucker. There he is. Uh, like, oh, hey, my daughter snuck out. Do you have a son, daughter? Oh, let's go looking for them. And I love when Terry calls up Jack and it's like, hey, I'm in the car with Alan York. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's supposed to know who that is. And Jack, like, Jack is Jack. Like, Jack's like, you're going to the valley with some guy called Alan York. <laughs> Don't you know the reputation that Alan York has? <laughs> but, oh, I, I want to go, oh, Alan York. <laughs> Alan. Um, Alan. <laughs> so that's going to become a thing. Um, Kim and Rick are bonding. They make out. They've known each other for 20 minutes, which is more than, I guess, <laughs> Janet and Dan are fucking in the bed in the furniture store. Okay. Um, with this plane becoming a bit more prominent with this photographer guy and Mandy, they're in first class. Like, I do love how this plane set makes a plane look a hundred times bigger than it actually is. Like, I'm sorry, in first class, isn't that big? And when these two have sex in the bathroom, uh, we've all been in bathrooms in planes. They're not that big. Um, you know what's funny i've never gone to the bathroom in a plane i always feel like i'll just i'm just gonna i mean i've never had a flight longer than like say three and a half hours i mean i have a tiny bladder i should shouldn't be able to hold it but uh i i just have no desire of pushing past everybody to get there i i avoid it where i can because i'm one of these people that i feel like because it's weird when you flush a toilet on a bath in a plane because it like it has this silent and then it goes like so loud yeah. it's just suction I, I feel like i'm blowing the plane up like it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> and i swear like every time i go to the bathroom on a plane that's when the plane decides to hit turbulence i swear like i'm a jinx <laughs> and it just happens like like particularly when you're on like a long flight when you're on like a 14 hour flight like it's just you go to the toilet you know usually you've got to do other you know more than number one on a plane that long right and all of a sudden the plane's like, and you're what? like what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what if the pilots are at the front of the plane? They're like, sorry, we got some turbulence here. A radical shift in weight at the back of the plane. <laughs> just the, the amount of food I've consumed on that plane. Goes there. Um, but I want to give a, shout, a special shout out here to Mandy. Mia Kirshner, who um, yeah. I remember Kelly is my best friend. I'll mention her a lot throughout this. Uh, she's a big fan of the L word. Uh, so I think Mia Kirshner was known uh, predominantly from the L word around about this time, but did a lot of things. She's Canadian too. I'm reading here. Didn't realize she that. is. Yeah. Uh, but I got to say, M- Mandy's a, a prominent character. She kind of comes and goes and kind of never gets a proper ending. I feel in 24, but when she's here, she's prominent and I like Mandy. I like Mia Kirshner. Yeah. I, I feel like I just want to quickly get your thoughts on, on your esteemed Canadian, a lot of Canadians in this uh, first episode. Can we point that out? 
Uh, maybe it was in Kiefer's contract. Uh, yeah. I need <laughs> so many Canadians. Uh, I mean, she's she's really good in the show. Like, and I agree with you. I, I've always felt like this character she does come back uh, at some point, but I've always felt like we we needed a bigger arc. Like, if Milo can come back, you know, <laughs> if Nina can come back, uh, then there's no reason that Mandy couldn't be a bigger part of the show. Although at the same time, it's it's almost the appeal of the character that she's just sort of there and then she's gone. Um, she is the closest thing we get to like a movie spy villain in this show. I mean, everything that she does in this episode, this is what I remembered best. Um, uh, you have you co- you haven't covered the, the her exit from the plane yet, have you? Uh, no, not yet. But we're nearly okay. there. Yep. I'll, I'll just talk about it anyways because I think one of the main reasons why her character always sticks out to me is because this is how I was introduced to Twenty Four. I mentioned that for whatever reason in Canada we had the first two episodes back to back. I actually think that we got it a week early. Um, because I remember it, that was what screwed me up. So I thought it was supposed to be on the following week, uh, but they aired the first two hours as one event movie here. And somehow I had the time screwed up. So it was getting close to what would be eight o'clock here. And I'm like, 24 has been on for the last 45 minutes. I wanted to watch this show. So I popped in a VHS tape. I hit record, you know, cause I wasn't prepared yet to watch it. And it was uh, her on the plane here, you know, just before she's making her exit and that was until this came out on DVD, like a year later, that was what I knew 24 hours. And I don't know, maybe the show wouldn't have grabbed me as quickly if it hadn't been like such an incredible moment. Cause it's almost out of style for the show too. Like her character in general feels very cinematic. Mm. And like, this is the thing. One thing that 24 does well for the most part is kind of these random characters that will sort of come and go like and and they also i feel 24 doesn't overuse them like like the first three series like it's kind of interesting with 24 like i feel the majority of fans lump it into three arcs the first three seasons then four to six and then seven and eight kind of their own things and then nine was definitely its own thing whereas like kind of the reason they say that is because the first three seasons kind of tie up everything like you have these characters that they kind of you know, I can't really say too much without spoiling it, but there, there, there are there are two characters. Uh, let's just say like, Nina and Sherry. I'm just going to say that right yeah. now. For whatever reasons, kind of, you could have kept bringing them back further and further on, but like it got old. So they, yeah, they're good enough with bringing them back to be relevant, but then eventually moving on from them. That's same with I Kim. Yeah, same with Kim. Exactly. 24 is good at doing that. The only issue is with that is that some of them, they, they lose focus of their characters in terms of they never give them a proper send-off. Mandy's one of them. I feel Mandy never gets a proper send-off, but she sort of comes and goes and he's always prominent. The other one that I'll say with that one, and uh, I don't think we do or we might see him in this season, or do we see him? No, I think we see him next season. Wayne Palmer. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Do we see him this season? I don't think we see No, I think it is season Stevie Woodside two. this season. No, next season. No, I don't think so. He's maybe the most prominent example of a major character who kind of just disappears and there's never any explanation. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. That's always annoyed me. Getting these on my off my chest right now. But um, the point of where I'm going with this is that when we get introduced to a character like this and kind of, I'm going to keep using the word MacGuffins, are kind of we're having things right now where we're thinking like, oh, clearly this photographer guy's evil, right? And we're going to find out very shortly. No, it's actually the one. Like, And this is what 24 does very cleverly. And when you don't, when you aren't aware of it, like when it gets, you get used to it after a while, you kind of, you can read who's going to be the evil person after a while, I feel. But in these early days, like it was done very well. Like you said, you kind of think it's going to be Tony. 
Here you think it's going to be the photographer. You know, you're thinking all these things right now. And then all of a sudden, like, I had no clue that this woman was going to be the evil person in this episode. Um, very cleverly done. Um, this is where we get the big fuzzy bear bit. Uh, um, David Palmer, the foot masseuse. Uh we get the phone call. Uh, if you were that allegation, again, so casual on the whole uh, phone call after midnight. And also, too, like, I love how everyone in this campaign headquarters is staying up. Like, like I feel like, okay, I get it. They're busy. They've got the big day tomorrow. That will kind of secure his nomination for, I, I think he's a Democrat. I'm assuming he's a Democrat um, for the, the election. But wouldn't you also want to get an early night's sleep because you're going to have a very big day the next day? Like... I'd love to get Barack. I'm sure we'll get Barack Obama on the show one day. That'll be easy. Yeah. Uh, like, hey, Barack, the day before you were officially granted the Democratic ticket, were you up all night or did you get an early night? <laughs> like, you know. Um, so, yeah, we get the, if you wear those allegations, you know, and he, I'll, see, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Maureen. And then, oh, plot twist. He walks outside and all calm. And, again, as we said before, the writers had no clue what this twist was going to be. They didn't know they were going to get picked up. But I will say it works. Like, this plays in perfectly to this storyline. Like, you, if, if I didn't know that, I wouldn't have known that. So, um, yeah. Very I late. didn't know that. Well, there you go. You do now. Um, George wakes up. He gets told um, the information. Um, cool. George goes off. You'll live to regret this, Bauer. Uh, can I also just point out the technology, as I said, dated the iMac in Kim's room. Uh, like how that's very, very dated. Um, Kim wants to go home because she's got five missed calls from her mum, and Rick and Dan are like, hey, yeah, sure, we'll take you home. Janet's like off her tits. Uh, like she's <laughs> sex with Dan is that good? You get stoned. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Speaking of sex, again, the the fucking in the toilet. Um, that, I'm sorry, that photographer is the worst sex ever. Like, <laughs> I just, wasn't even sure they'd done anything, to be honest, watching the episode. Colin, this is sex. Uh, well, no, I, I get that part. <laughs> I was fighting. just expecting, I was expecting Janet and, and whatever his name is level. <laughs> uh, I, I, but this is what's so great about Mandy, right? Mandy's gone from being like, oh, so, you know, David Palmer. Oh. Then she's like in the bathroom, like having sex. And she's like, oh, maybe we can hook up in LA. And he's all just like, oh yeah, maybe. And then he leaves and she's just like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I, I'm not even joking that I didn't even realize they'd done anything because the way the scene plays out, it's almost like they haven't started yet. It's like, oh, guess what? I got to interrupt it. I can't finish this because she doesn't even seem that interested. Like if he just finished, she's like, all right, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> he's terrible. Like five <laughs> he seconds, is. we've got Dan stoning a poor woman because he's that good at sex. Whereas this guy is just like, uh, 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 and then he, that's the thing about the Germans, right? Germans are just bad in bed. That's It's a, it's a well-known fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, anyway, but this is when we find out, oh, plot twist, Mandy's evil because she drugs a flight attendant. Now, the one thing I would say that would be weird now, looking back at this airing after 9-11, is that clearly this was filmed before 9-11, right? When back in the day you could sneak a bomb on a plane and <laughs> have a needle and, you know, get a flight attendant. Um, but that seems a bit weird. They did edit a fair bit of this out. Clearly, there was other scenes filmed, but 9-11. So, like, you see the plane apparently blow up in the original cut. I think in the trailer you do see a plane blow up. And I think there was a, a fight before she um, goes off the plane with a, maybe another flight attendant or something, but they edited that mm-hmm. out as well. So, um, a little bit more to this scene. But, no, she drugs a flight attendant. We uh, reveal that there's a bomb in the fire hydrant. She puts, like I guess, like plastic explosives around the door or something like that. And, boom, she gets sucked out of the plane the plane blows up 
Gotta say, why does she only give herself 30 seconds? She cut that a bit thin. Couldn't she jump out of the plane before the bomb goes off? Because I kind of feel like you're within the vicinity of the blast radius there, Mandy. Um, could have backfired. That's just how she rolls. That's that's how Mandy rolls. Um, I, well, one thing similar to what we've done with all, I don't know if you did this on Total Drama Island. I do apologize, Colin. I did not listen. Um, <laughs> didn't watch either. Didn't watch either. Uh, but of course, what we do on the other shows is we rank, you know, we top five moments of the season, you know, things like that. So often what I will do is I'll say, you know, book note this as a potential top five moment. And we usually go over the nominees later on. Uh, it's very early days, but this was a shocking twist. I feel like the plane kind of blowing up her all of a sudden yeah. out of nowhere, being a, a mole and blowing up the plane. So I'm just noting this as a potential one. I don't think it will make it. I think there's clearly five other moments in this season mm-hmm. that will top this, but as a potential nominee, um, Jack's concerned still uh, about Kim. He's on the phone to Terry and Alan York. Um, <laughs> and kind of Nina's listening into it and asking, is anything wrong? And no. And then what? what is this? Colin, like four minutes after the explosion, five minutes after the explosion, <laughs> Tony's on, <laughs> stands up straight away. Hey, Jack, a 747 just blew up over the Mojave Desert. And Jack's like, oh, okay, yeah, get the passenger list and all that sort of stuff. Now, I'm sorry, I love this show to bits, but come on, where's the reaction? <laughs> like, A, it's a 747. There's like 300 people on that plane, right? That's a big fucking deal. B, like, this is a big deal. A 747 just blew up over America, right? And C, how do they know so quickly? I'm sorry, air traffic control are still looking at their radars going, oh, uh, yes, United Flight 723, are you there? United Flight 723, yeah. are you there? Uh, we've got a problem. They're calling it in. They're sending It's authority. the desert. They don't have people reporting. I just saw something fall out of the sky while I was on my evening walk through the desert. And like Tony literally says, initial reports are that it's a bomb. Uh, <laughs> again, not to like make 9-11 a thing, like it always happens in our episodes, but like when the first plane hit the trade center, right? People were like, oh, wow. Like, it took a while. It took to the second plane to hit. 45 minutes. Till people kind of thought, well, hang on a minute. This could be an attack. And even then, even then, it wasn't fully known until probably the third plane hit the Pentagon, right? That, okay, fuck, something's going on here. So, like, like again, plot's got a plot. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, I get it. Like, as much as we love the show, this happened in Third Watch, as much as I love the show, you've got to call out bullshit when you see it. This is bullshit. Um, anyway, basically, you feel like Jack needs to drop a, oh, this is going to be a long day line here, right? <laughs> um, also, Dan doesn't take Kim's turn off, so, oh, something's on here. What's wrong? Dan and Rick are, you know, this is, night's only getting started. Something's got to be going on here. They nearly hit Terry and Alan York uh, in a cross-section. <laughs> Alan York. <laughs> what a man. Um, there's a new T-shirt. I love Alan York. Um, and the ending, and again, this is what 24 does, usually ends on a cliffhanger, but the cliffhanger here is we see Mandy opening up a parachute, which, again, it's kind of filmed in daylight. That's a bit of a mistake there, I feel, because you do see like the yeah. sunrise in the background. So there's our first episode. Anything to add on those? Final- Actually, I'll just say the, the iconic ending of 24, of course, is always like the, the, the shots on the faces with the split screen. I always yeah. love that. I don't know about you, but I would always focus on one and try and guess which one they're going to end it on. Like that was always my little like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty stare- sure I did the same thing. Yeah, like, I would stare at Jack's cell because like <laughs> you, you would never know which one's going to be the, uh, the, the cliffhanger at the end. Unfortunately, we don't really get one here. So anyway, that's episode one. 
I mean, I already kind of gave my opinions on him taking out Mason so quickly. Although still, I do love that that is the first time we see Jack do a Jack thing. Uh, but <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch. And the fact that Mason is just like, Mason would have a million excuses he could give to get out of this. Uh, and instead, he's just like, oh, all right, well, here, I'll give you what you want, Jack. Now I'm going to leave now. Like, I, I don't buy that Mason's just walking out. Especially, I mean, We see Mason's. Here's a character that maybe just isn't fully developed. Because we see Mason. Mason's going to be a completely different guy as the oh, season yeah. progresses. Um, and uh, beyond. But um, with Tony and the Nina thing, uh, it's, it's hard to keep up, I think, at this point. I mean, I know because I've seen the show before. But you're already being told that Jack and Nina had a thing. You're trying to figure out, you know, did Jack cheat on his wife you know was he with her before he was with his wife and then to throw that throw that in there and then for them to just sort of introduce in this soap opery way where uh she mentions something about you know uh tony i think it's like uh it's like oh nobody's gonna know oh tony will know and it's like oh you know about tony already yes i know <laughs> like i have eyes it's just a little bit too soap opery um plus i would think of the cia they would have to disclose this you know yeah Mason is doing some shady things. I think that Nina right now, there's grounds for Jack to also drug her and pin her down on a couch. He'll stop there. Uh, he's a married man, happily married again. But <laughs> if Nina is the one person he's trusting and she's been hiding this when in the CIA, you would have to disclose you're in a relationship with somebody else. Well, it's the CTU, Colin. Come on now. CTU, which, by the way, the CTU. Okay, so... Uh, they say that Palmer is one thing I really like in this. I completely forgot about it. Palmer is no fan of the agency. They say mm. now, whether that's the CIA or the CTU, I mean, is Palmer basically out there on the campaign trail saying defund the CIA? Like, well, is that that's his 2001 think, thing? And that's what I guess like kind of why you also another reason why you meant to believe George might be evil, right? Because he's like, he's no fan. You know, as soon as he gets elected, we're getting shut down. Like, argh. yeah. Yeah. And you get that. I mean, for me, I, I'm not saying, you know, I would agree with it, but from George's perspective, he's like, it's the middle of the night. How far are we going to go to help this guy? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be out of the job. Um, but, it is, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a nice little surprise to uh, forget something like that and be back. And it's like, Oh, Palmer doesn't like them. They don't like Palmer. Yeah. Uh, and it, it makes it a little bit more interesting that, you know, Jack's the only one who go along with this because you just imagine that Tony and Nina's like, let him die. <laughs> um, uh, the, the furniture store is great too because say where are we gonna have the kids hang out a furniture store uh, <laughs> listen to Coldplay <laughs> yeah listen to Coldplay the it's furniture all we store. did in 2001 isn't it us teenagers that's all we did <laughs> It's also really unusual that they're uh, the timeline of the show, because again, this is the first time people have really seen anything in real time. I remember one of the reasons I was intrigued by the show is because there was a movie that Johnny Depp made a couple of years before this called Nick of Time. This is before Johnny Depp was a big deal. He was actually very much not well liked at the time. And it was like you know, a lot of bombs. But and he made this enough, movie come full circle now. Yeah, exactly. He's right back there again. <laughs> uh, but at the time it was the movie bombed, but I just thought it was so interesting to see a movie that took place in real time the whole movie was in 90 minutes and start to finish you're following the character uh that was a new now it's you know nothing new people will do this all the time uh but there are some things that you have to immediately question in a regular tv show you can buy kim at the beginning of the episode goes off to party in this furniture store all night and then they're wasted out of their minds <laughs> it is 20 minutes later okay <laughs> yeah. they got a whole lot accomplished and got 
way wasted in 20 minutes yeah, in this Jan- furniture store. Janet was horny and Kim just basically like making out within like 20 minutes. Like I, I get it. Like Kim's not quite on that. Like it happens. You meet someone like you, <laughs> you kiss, but like anyone I've ever gone to a party with and maybe made out with, I haven't done it within 20 minutes. I mean, I don't know if I'm, I'm no Rick. I get it. But like, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> like was I missing out as a teenager? Was I meant to be making out with girls? I mean, I'm sorry. In 2021, that constitutes a bit of forcible uh, assault there, Rick. Like, <laughs> It's a furniture store thing. Oh, if yeah. you've never you done wolf. it in a furniture store, tell you one thing: you take, a, you take someone into a furniture store, you're getting lucky. <laughs> it's also really funny their reactions when they walk in there because oh, the, the girls penis. are like, look. They, they, they have well even before they look at that, their eyes are wide and they're looking around the room like, oh, wow, <laughs> chairs and tables look at that a nice stand like, this is the penises. greatest thing I've seen yeah and then they see the, the, the statue of the penis but they're just way too excited by a furniture store here it must um, be LA LA furniture stores are, are pretty cool <laughs> this needs to be like a 24 hour furniture store like they just discovered like whatever whenever it happened back in the 60s where convenience stores realized hey these stoners are getting hungry in the middle of the night let's stay open 24 hours a day we'll make a lot of money the same thing is going to happen with furniture stores in LA like we got to you know cash in on this teenage crowd like we're selling a lot of nightstands yep. <laughs> <laughs> these kids are horny and they're going home with furniture because they're stoned and they're drunk <laughs> no, no, no parents want their kids to have sex at night at the house so fuck it let's open up the furniture store they can have sex in our <laughs> exactly clean like, this is where all this is where all the kids go to like this is the hangout <laughs> the I, furniture I know store the owner of the furniture store the next morning going and oh what's this stain on my sheets on my bed <laughs> You know, Look, that's oh. disgusting. What were the cleaners doing in here last night? How many cleaners got fired over yeah. this? <laughs> well, how many? Like, like, I don't think Rick would. I mean, Dan will definitely won't have a job the next day without spoiling it. But I mean, Rick, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> with Rick working there, poor Rick. Yeah, <laughs> poor Rick. That's what everybody walks away from the season thinking. Not Terry. <laughs> Rick. Poor Rick. Rick. Rick got the raw end of the stick here. Didn't he? <laughs> this is our next T-shirt. Poor Rick. Poor Rick. <laughs> I love Alan York and poor Rick. Poor Rick. <laughs> um, not not too much else to add. I mean, on the Palmer thing, uh, you know, they did a really good job setting up because I still, like you said, I would never have guessed that they didn't know where the story. There's other times in the show where you figure they don't know where the story's going. Kim season two, a <laughs> clear example yeah. of that. Uh, but here, that's not the case. Um, I mentioned about the, the plane escape. Like that was the first thing I saw. It's such a big moment. You can totally see the 9-11 impact all over that. And it is weird that uh, they delayed it for so long because I look at the the air date and they waited for like a month and a half. Whereas Alias, I think they pushed it back a week or two. Uh, really, it's because they didn't have to cut anything out. When you have a plane exploding, I don't think I ever thought about that at the time. But when you have a plane exploding, a plane exploding, <laughs> plone explaining. when those those plones exploded all oh. over the Mojave Desert, Tony's like, a plone just exploded <laughs> over the Mojave Desert. Tony, slow down. He's oh. up in the caffeine. <laughs> Gee, that tragic day in 2001 when those plones exploded into the t- trade center. When lives a plone exploded into the, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Oh, what a day. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you could see they had some work to do on the pilot. Uh, it, it wasn't because people were too sensitive, though. You know, this will probably be the... You know, only time we really get to mention it because we're talking about the premiere. But uh, the impact that 9-11 had on movies like this and TV shows like this, 
it was for the benefit. Uh, I remember the movie Collateral Damage with Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. was supposed to be released like the I think the week of it, and they pulled it from the schedule because they said we can't deal with a movie that's you know technically not terrorist if you want to call it that, uh, and firefighters and everything. So they pulled it, and then what they found was uh, as there were no movies being released for a couple weeks, I remember seeing news stories where they're saying video stores, the violent movies like Rambo are being picked off the shelf. Like people were drawn to see terrorist movies because they want to see the terrorists, you know, get what's coming to them. Uh, and collateral damage ends up getting released six months later and it bombs. Whereas if they had released it at the time, if they had taken the 24 and said, let's cut one or two scenes here, maybe it would have been like a hundred million dollar hit. Who knows? But well, it didn't uh, work for glitter. Uh, that's Mariah Carey always blames 9-11 for glitter's <laughs> failure. I'm sorry, Mariah Carey. I think there's a little bit was, more to glitter's failure than 9-11. Yeah, there were no plones exploding in glitter yeah. that I remember. <laughs> Just the movie exploded enough without any plones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, I could see it's a little bit disjointed, the whole explosion thing. Uh, maybe there was more to it. Uh, they had to edit it out. I don't know. But I'm, again, totally with you on Mandy. Great, uh, great character. Great first villain to have. She's the first villain of the series, which I would often forget. 24 has a tendency to... Uh, have one villain for the first half of the season and they'll transition or sometimes three tiered approach. I feel 20. Yeah, exactly. The eight episode arc. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which I think it would take until season four before they abandon that along with other things, as you talked about. Uh, But uh, I don't even know if she, she really is even the only focus for the, I can't remember how long she's a thing in this. She's not in it for very long. She's, I think three episodes, but it's kind of like between her and then it sort of passes a buck to Ira. And then we get to the, the Drazens of course. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like Again, it, it works. I think it's always very clever. But, yeah, you do cotton on to it pretty quickly that, hey, well, clearly this guy's not the big villain because, you know, we, we're only four episodes in, right? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, she's a great first villain to have. You don't see it coming. Um, but that guy on the plane, again, just like Tony, they, they do a good job of drawing your suspicion on him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the whole thing with Alan York and them almost hitting the car, uh, does Kim notice that that was her mom or, or no. I guess she, she's driving Alan York's car. So probably wouldn't know Alan York's BMW. Of course, Alan, Alan York drives a BMW. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's a decent cliffhanger. I feel like we're going to have much, the, the real cliffhanger here is the plane exploding. I, I don't feel like there was any point where I was watching the show and I cared that much about Kim's just been kidnapped. Mm. Uh, if anything, it may have been a turn off on the show at this point. It's like, Oh, we got to follow this teenager getting kidnapped storyline or whatever. But I mean, it's enough to keep you interested. It's, I remember when Kelly watched this, like she, like she said, like, Oh, this is a bit slow. Like, and like, I, I wouldn't agree with the fact that like, but I mean, compared to other 24 episodes, this is a slower episode, let's be honest. But I mean, there's still enough to hook you in. I feel, um, but, I mean, gosh, if you're watching a brand new show, you're expecting a 747 to blow up at the end of it. Um, one thing I will say, too, mm-hmm. that like, 24 does do is that it kind of just, like, you'll have a massive thing happen, which, again, if in real life a 747 blew up over the desert in continental United States, it would be a massive... This would be blanket yeah. 24-hour news coverage forever. They kind of just gloss over and it's forgotten about in three episodes. Well, not even that. I feel it's forgotten about in one episode, really. So, um, it's kind oh, you of... said 24-hour news coverage. We're going to stop at the 24-hour mark. <laughs> yeah. And again, I get it. Plot's got a plot. You can't have the real-life time frame of a four-hour discovery while they're watching the news or reports or initial. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, if we did that with Malaysia flight, we'd still be waiting for it, right? But, um... but you could. You can just say, you know what? We... 
protocol says we have to investigate this as a potential bombing first. Yeah. You don't have to say it's earlier reports say it's a bomb. I mean, yeah, like exactly. Like I, I get it. And like, but the thing is, this is counter terrorist unit, right? If a plane blows up over the desert, you're going to keep your seven skeleton stuff. I'm sorry. You're like bringing everyone in like at that yeah. point, like this is a fucking big shit show now. But like, I also love the fact that, their focus remains the whole... I mean, I get it. The season is all about David Palmer's assassination attempt. But, like, at that point, does a 747 exploding over the desert, even though we're going to find out it is connected to Palmer, is that not priority over a, a politician potentially being assassinated? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they still have no evidence. Exactly. And it's not even a politician who has their best interests at heart. <laughs> like, like 9-11 happens. Oh, no, 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 no. Senator from Vermont is about to get assassinated. Yeah. Put that aside. <laughs> we'll get to that. This guy could be assassinated today based on yeah, his You know side. what? They they would have been there to stop Pearl Harbor, but yeah. they heard that a congressman in Iowa or Wyoming <laughs> <laughs> had a, a threat against his life. So Pearl Harbor happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll just quickly say to people tuning in, you've never listened to the Oz Network before, all these episodes aren't going to go for two hours. Clearly this is a pilot. We've got a bit to get through and, you know, yeah. and um, one thing we'll do, similar to what we do with Lost, um, just a few, if there's any interesting trivia things. Um, one thing, this day takes place on a Tuesday because it can be seen in the news and presidential primaries take place on Tuesdays, apparently. We've gone over a lot of the other ones. The show was initially meant to be called 24 Hours but they apparently dropped the hours part of it to avoid confusion with the news magazine on CBS. Um, 48 hours? Yeah, apparently. Have we mentioned also <laughs> this is on Fox? I feel like we talk about networks a lot on yeah. our other shows, but uh, Fox? I mean, I can I just quickly say, like, I knew Fox as the Simpsons network, right? Uh, X-Files as well. Uh, the Fox, Fox is not a cable network, right? It's a, it's a major, like, it's the fourth yeah. of the major channels in the States. Am I correct? Yeah, and uh, I, I, especially at this point, though, I believe it had a smaller audience because it had only existed for a little over a decade. And during that time, you have to get all the cable systems across the country to sign on and carry your network on a channel or whatever. So they never really had the opportunity to have a top-rated show until, I guess, the year after this with uh, American Idol was like the big breakthrough. But at the time this came out, this probably would have been one of the most expensive shows on TV. Uh, but for Fox, it was crazy that they had a show like this. And we should also mention um, the creators of the show, uh, Joel Cernow and Robert Cochran. Uh, Joel Cernow, best known for La Femme Nikita, which I never watched, um, but I was aware of it being a thing. And uh, Robert Cochran, first show he'd really been involved in, he'd written for JAG and LA Law. Um, but yeah, kind of hasn't done a lot since. So th- it's kind of not like when we've talked about, say, in uh, Third Watch, when you have someone like John Wells, who's very esteemed, of course, coming in from ER, Ryan Murphy, clearly on Nip Tuck. He's gone on to bigger and better things. Even Damon Lindelof, JJ Abrams in Lost, where we talked about these big names who kind of gone on to things. You don't really say that for Joel Cernow and Robert Cochran, which is kind of surprising because, I mean, 24 was a bona fide hit for a long time. So yeah, uh, kind of interesting there. Um, uh, yeah, not not a whole lot else to add. Uh, we'll, we'll go over things like Jack Bauer kill counts. We're not going to count it like we do over on 007, but uh, we've got a list here. There's a lot of websites for Jack Bauer kill count. He hasn't killed anyone yet. So one of the few uh, rare episodes where he hasn't killed anyone. Also, uh, to this episode, I should mention, did win an Emmy uh, for best writing. Uh, so uh, this 24 would go on to win a fair few amount of awards. So got an Emmy for the writing in this episode um and one thing that 24 wiki does as well is kind of it mentions like first appearances by 
There are 110 first appearances in this episode. We're not going to go through them, but did you know this is Jack Bauer's first appearance on 24? I'm not sure if you... Are you kidding? I know, right? Why did they wait so long? And it is the first time that we ever hear about the Keith Palmer scandal in an episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the fact they go into details here about the first time we see Flight 221 mentioned, the first time we see a gun in 24, the first time we see a Pontiac in 24. Uh, so all these kind of random things as well. One thing too, actually, before we get into our ratings and things like that, we do here. Um, it's interesting. Season one is only listed as having five main cast members. Uh, so someone like Carlos Bernard is not a main cast member this season. Penny Johnson, Gerald, not a main cast member, uh, which is interesting. The the only five are Keith Sutherland, Jack Bauer, Leslie Hope, Terry Bauer, Sarah Clark, Zena Myers, Alicia Cuthbert as Kim Bauer, and Dennis Haysbert as Senator David Palmer. All five appear in all 24 episodes of season one. Carlos Bernard appears in 23 episodes, so maybe he didn't quite make the quota. See if we can try and pinpoint which episode he doesn't appear in, and maybe Cubby does instead. Um, so how we wrap up these TV episodes, if people aren't familiar with, we obviously do our usual buy it, bin it, rent it scale. And I at least rate episodes. I don't know if Colin's going to join me, uh, from the very beginning and rate these. Sure. He says, sure. First of all, are you going to buy it, rent it or bin episode one, 12am to 1am? Honestly, if this was an episode in the middle of the season, it would be a renter. But because it's the first one and you get introduced to everything and we have, you know, the plane explosion, I mean, you have to go with a buy. Yeah, I agree with you. If this, well, I feel if this was anything but the pilot episode, you would rent this episode. It's just kind of, it's on the grand scheme of 24, it's not a brilliant episode. But yeah, absolutely agree with you. It's a buy purely on the fact that this sets everything up and it, it does it in a way that, again, you put yourself in the zone at that point in history and, like, you know, this was a unique show. Nothing had really been seen like this before. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it gives me the difficult question to ask you, Colin Hilding. Rating, where would you rank this episode? <sighs> I thought about putting it somewhere in the middle, but, again, just because it's the original, let's put it at number one. Oh, I agree with you, Colin. I'm also putting it number one. Now, I'm not keeping track of your ratings unless you want me to. I've got mine in front of me, but I, I, are you going to keep track of yours? I, I will now that you okay. mentioned that. Uh, I mean, it I don't might help, but then you one. get to like episode 52 <laughs> and you're like, uh, what did I have at episode 36? Uh, I mean, I could just make it up. You're never going to know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I could. Like, I could literally, like, I've got it in front of me, but I can't be bothered because I can only think about myself uh, one at a time. Uh, <laughs> next episode, of course, is... 1am to 2am. <laughs> it feels so weird with these episode titles not actually being named. Um, get a bit more Walsh. We get a bit more Mandy. We get a bit more David. I mean, it's it's. I'd say the episode two probably stands out a little bit better than episode one. But uh, we really start to get into, uh, I guess, the motion of things and uh, as we keep moving forward in the beginning of 24. Any initial thoughts on episode two? <laughs> uh, it's later at night. Uh, or earlier in the morning or later in the morning. I don't know. (laughs) One of those. I, I, these episodes kind of blend together for me again, because I saw them as one originally. So, uh, there wasn't necessarily the big cliffhanger when I saw it originally. I'm sure when I, when we do watch this one next week, it's all going to come flooding back to me. I believe we get Ira Gaines for the first time next episode. Do we not? I like a bit of Ira. Uh, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, what's the, uh, we, he was in something we watched. Wasn't he recently? I feel. The guy who plays Ira, Michael Massey. Uh, he was in something. Let me see. Well, I'm uh, looking at this right now because I feel he was definitely in something we recapped. I mean, he was uh, in The Crow, but I watched that. I don't think we covered it. Uh, he's uh, in the Catwoman. 
It was in Catwoman. Okay. Yes, yes, he was. I remember him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, try to forget that movie. <laughs> but um, anyway, oh, he was a voice in Underdog. Oh, there we go. Um, let us know what you thought of the first episode of 24 if you're watching along with us. Uh, and it's going to be similar to all our other shows. We will... Same format each week, have the episode, and then, of course, uh, in a season, we'll do a season recap. And uh, hopefully, too, like we have done with our other shows as well, uh, our aim will be to try and get interviews along the way. We actually have interviewed mm. somebody from 24 before because he was also a prominent person in Nip Tuck. So we spent half of that talking uh, about both. I'm not going to tell you who that is. I'm not going to spoil it. Colin probably looking at me going, ah, oh, I didn't know that Michael Beach was uh, <laughs> in 24. He was in, in Nip Tuck. So... Uh, anyway, we'll we'll try and find it. And similar to what we did because of doing Lost, Nip Tuck, and Third Watch all at the same time, we, we found many actors who kind of were in two of the three. We never found an actor who were in all three. So maybe we might find an actor who was in all four. Maybe. Uh, that doesn't work because if they weren't in all and three. And Total so. Drama Island. And Total Drama Island. And Smallville. Um, I didn't know Samuel L. Jackson was in 24. Uh, so stay tuned as we come back for another episode. My name is Ben. I'm going to go jump on my plone to get it exploded. And see ya. And my name is Mom. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.